here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to wrestling omakaze episode 31 and today we're joined by two brand new guests you know it's um it's actually been a while since we've had any new guests in the show probably a bit too long but um we're happy to introduce two brand new guests today and first of all i want to introduce kara um kara is making i believe her podcast debut yes uh, pod- wrestling podcast debut. I've wrestling. Been on, on. Yeah. I've been oh, you were on, on that no cartridge. Thing. I was on no cartridge to talk okay. about leftism and video I, games. So, I listened um, to you on that, so I should have known that. Thank you. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, wide display of interest, but I'm I'm here to talk uh, New Japan and WWE today, and maybe pop team epic anime. I hear. <laughs> um, and then the other guest is a guy I've known for like 16 years. Right? Is that? It's been a long time. Yeah. It's like a long time. Um, Aaron Wachowski, um, you're not with Last World of Sports anymore, right? You just no, of... no, I, I left, uh, I, I took a hiatus for a while and then I tried to like 
get back into writing when I wasn't ready to, and then I left them again. So I'm kind of a free agent right now. I'm not really doing too much. Yeah. So Aaron, you know, I, I've known him for a long time, dating back to our days in e-wrestling. A, <laughs> a topic that, believe it or not, a lot of people in the Voices of Wrestling, like Slack, have been bugging me to do an episode about. So I'm just, I I'm just, that. see, okay, I'm glad you're saying you would. Um, if, you know, if people listening to this would listen to an EFED episode, I guess, like, get at me. I'm just worried, like, you know, 10 people are going to listen to it. So I don't know. It just seems like too too niche even for this podcast. But. Well, well, you got to show today on on New Japan and WWE, so that'll help your viewer count, I your listener count. I feel. Yeah, I mean, so the, those are the topics, as Kara just said. Um, we're going to do New Japan and WWE today. Um, you know, there, it was a. I figured it was a unique weekend where they're both running pretty big shows, so it'd be cool to talk the two biggest companies in the world. Before we get into that, I usually like to talk to my new guests about like how they got into wrestling and stuff. So, um, Kara, I guess start with you. Um, how'd you get into wrestling? And then I guess more specifically, like New Japan and stuff. Yeah, well, you know, I was I, the obvious origin story is that I've been a wrestling fan as a child. You know, grew up with you know WCW, Hulk Hogan, uh, Hollywood Hogan. Uh, loved Hollywood Hogan and NWO when I was small. Um, you know, kept going as, as you do fall in WWE long until, you know, I heard there was more out there, uh, you know, getting into in American Indies in the two thousands and started following new Japan specifically, um, for the 2014 G one, uh, kind of right before, right before Wrestle Kingdom nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been at this longer than I would I thought actually, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just kind of kind of gradually easing into it definitely it was it was a very passing interest in the start but it it drew me in more and more and now i'm definitely a person who watches a bunch of wrestling with their free time (laughs) it's how they get you (laughs) aaron what about your origin story i think i already know Uh, a little bit of it but an undertaker match on like wwf action zone and he was nothing you got got cut off the start there sorry who was undertaker wrestling Yeah, so it was like uh, I was watching like WWF Action Zone, like just flipping through the channels, and I saw The Undertaker, and I was just like, I've never seen anything like this before. And after that, I just started really watching wrestling, and I think actually the first uh, brush I had with Japan was uh, Super Fire Pro Wrestling X Premium, and that got me into what's going on. I had like a translation patch that had all these wrestlers, and then once I started going on the message boards and things like that. They started talking about Japanese wrestling and started trying to find ways on MIRC and such like that to download matches. And, you know, and when it comes to current new Japan, I think it was, uh, I think it was wrestle kingdom nine that I finally started kind of watching it again. And it was mostly for, you know, it was mostly for Okada and slowly getting more and more into it because my wrestling interests have waned over the years, but New Japan and actually Lucha Underground are the only things that really excite me these days. Mm. So what, um, which console was Super Fire Pro Premium? Was that like Game Boy, Super Nintendo? Yeah. Super Nintendo, I got that one. Okay. I'm not a, I'm not a huge Fire Pro nerd, so I'm sure someone is like yelling at their podcast. Like, of course it's <laughs> Super Nintendo, dumbass. Actually, it's Super Famicom. Famicom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, now, I mean, I played, I used to play Fire Pro Wrestling Returns a lot. I think that was like the first one I really played heavily. Oh, for so. PS2, yeah. Yeah, that was like the very, there was another PS2 one, right? I might have played that one too. Uh, I definitely or have a copy. The new one. 
Yeah, I definitely have a copy of Word, World on my Steam account that has uh, gotten mostly untouched. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to get World, but I don't know. I'll get around to it, I guess. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like getting into it someday, but uh, a lot, it just lot seems going so, on in the world. It just seems so complicated, you know? Like, you look at, I looked at it, and, like, all these, like, um, like what the, the patches and stuff or whatever, the what the hell do they call them, the hacks? Mm-hmm. It's just uh-huh. like, I really need someone... You know, like if I if I, I just think of like you know twenty year old me would be so into this. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, but like you know, <laughs> I just I have a full time job now and shit, and it's just like if someone could just come to my house and set up like the best patches, I would really appreciate it. So <laughs> anyone, anyone wants to come do that in New York, if you're, I'll pay you whatever. Uh, I probably would actually. Um, but yeah, so it's cool stories, guys, and we're all here because we're fans of New Japan and. I, I hesitate to Some say we're fans. Yeah, we're, we're something with WWE. Um, I am. I'm something. I haven't right. been a fan of WWE in years, but I mean, I still love the Rumble. Yeah, the Rumble is like the one show I think even even yeah. people who are really sick of them can get into. Yeah, um, I definitely compared it to. Um, you know, this on a great week of wrestling kind of compares to a day out at WrestleMania weekend watching live and and all day and then watching the rumble at, at the end of that is like uh getting high and going to kaiju at midnight <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah i don't know it's very it's very interesting um i mean i actually not not to spoil our takes but i thought it was one of the better shows i've seen out of them in a long time oh, absolutely. but i uh, i thought they're you know they had a really they had a really shitty 2017 you know even for them and then mm-hmm. that raw 25 show last week was like one of the worst things i've ever seen but <laughs> It's nice that six days later they could actually put on a good show. So we'll get into that. But first, um, we should talk about New Japan. We'll go in chronological order here. So we would start with the New Japan New Beginning in Sapporo on night one. Uh, this is January 27th in the Hokkaido Prefectural Sports Center. Um, what was your guys' excitement level going into this going into this show? Like, were you... Were the two of you pretty excited? Were you like hyped for it? Not that hyped for it? Because they're two interesting main events, but there wasn't a lot else to these cards. That's true, and um, it, it, I think uh, it was it was hard to like really gauge my excitement level because um, still kind of adjusting to the New Japan gimmick of like kind of spreading these shows out over two days. I think if you like take the best of these cards and kind of and kind of smush them together into one night, I would have been oh, absolutely, I'm blown away. I can't wait to see this, but. Trying, trying to view how excited over I was to see it over a two-day span, especially when I knew I'd be watching so much other WWE content. I thought, probably going to enjoy this, but it's going to be a tough week. And it turns out it wasn't a tough week because everything was very good. What do you think? I, I, I really, um, I was I was definitely sold on the main events, uh, but I wasn't really sold on the undercard. And I find that uh, that's how I used to feel about other New Japan cards up until at least, well, in 2017, I think almost everything's been good and uh, in coming into 2018. But these two these two cards, I kind of looked at it and there's just so many multi-man matches. I knew that that was going to start uh, wearing down on me and it certainly did, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't still quality, quality wrestling. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to like reveal my hand here. I went on Twitter and was like making fun of Mort you know, he's a brother Mort from the Real Heart Archive. People don't know who that is. Who was saying like he never watches undercards, and I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Oh, he called like everybody who watches undercards insane or something. <laughs> I was like, "I watch the undercard of every damn Japanese promotion I watch." 
But then this weekend, I did not watch the full hundred. <laughs> <laughs> you know what these shows? And the problem was, my girlfriend's birthday was on Saturday, and you yeah. know, like we just, you know, we were out all day with like birthday stuff. So like, I woke up very early and made sure I watched that Tanahashi Suzuki match, like you know, live because mm-hmm. I didn't want any chance of getting spoiled. Right. Um, which thank God because I think yeah. if you got, did you guys watch that show unspoiled? I did not. I I find it impossible to watch New Japan unspoiled these days. Oh. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I just then downloaded we'll... it. So you already got spoiled when you watched it, too, Aaron. Yeah, I woke up to spoilers both times. Okay. <laughs> so well, that'll be interesting discussion then. But yeah, I mean, I really wanted to avoid the spoilers, so I went. I managed to watch it before I got spoiled. But yeah, I didn't. I never got back to the undercard. I just kind of went back and watched a few of the matches. So you know what? You now that I think have... about it, now that I think about it, that's probably a good way to gauge my excitement for this show. Um, it, because if I were going off the charts for a show, I would have gone far, far out of my way to avoid getting spoiled. Mm. But this one, I'm like, I'm going to enjoy these, but I'm just going to watch them. And yeah, yeah, I always try to like pretty much any show. I try to avoid the spoilers if I can. But I mean, that's why I'm really excited for that the next All Japan show is airing with the Doring and uh, Kai matches airing that same day. Because obviously, like some of these promotions. When they're airing their shit like you know a week to like three weeks later, then it's pretty much impossible. But mm-hmm. you know, as long as it's airing the same day, I can usually I can usually just not open Twitter for a little while. Sometimes I can't, but <laughs> uh, but yeah. So the first show opened up with the Katsuya Kitamura seven match trial series. Uh, Michael Elgin versus Katsuya Kitamura. Um, obviously, no one is really a big fan of Elgin these days, and for good reason. Um, <laughs> But what did you guys, did you have any thoughts on this match specifically? Um, I would say it's about what I expected it to be, which is um, if you kind of put aside who Elgin is, uh, it's good bell to bell. Um, it's always good to see Kitamura. Um, you know, I'm impossibly high on him. I think he should, I've said before that I think he should just beat Okada in 30 seconds. Um, and I'm only half joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know. Uh, seeing a big muscle match between two guys over pretty quick. Um, I had no problem with this match other than Michael Elkins in it. I thought it was okay, but I, uh, but like, I, I wasn't that into it. I don't know if it's just the Elgin factor or not, but I don't know. I found it hard to get into it at all. What'd you think, Aaron? Well, I think that the, you know, as much as we're pretty down on Elgin as a person, his also his actual in-ring work hasn't been anywhere near it used to be. So that does kind of hold back what the match could be. I don't know if if this was like, say, 2016 Elgin, it would have been a much better match. I know some people were really in love with it. It, it was a good Haas battle, uh, but I, I don't think it really... It, it showcased what Kitamura is going to become, but next night kind of showed that he has more than just being a big, thick Haas. Yeah, so I, I thought it was a fine opener. Yeah, for an opener, it definitely wasn't. There was nothing of it complain about but yeah i i I, you know i can't i can't say anything better than it than the bell to bell like didn't annoy me at any point (laughs) um any thoughts on match two which was one of the many random suzuki goon versus uh seki goon i guess Uh, yes i have a i have a very big thought on match two in fact um where um uh as you know, John, John, you're a, as I know, you're a huge Tai Chi fan. Uh, I, I am also the Tai Chi fan. Of the am, no, I am. I am also <laughs> very into Tai Chi. Uh, I, I love his presence. He's everything that WWE nerds think the Miz is. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
in that he is fairly inoffensive bell to bell but the gimmick in terms of being able to get legitimate hit heat from the audience is um pretty incredible so I mean, when he's Ty- the only guy in the entire fucking promotion who has a negative chant about him exactly it's incredible yeah <laughs> so um what i want to say about this match is that um they spent a full minute on the intro to Taichi's entrance, and then <laughs> awesome. the second the second he comes out to sing, they cut it off with the other Suzuki Goon bullshit, bullshit. And uh, I said, I said at the time, this might end up being the spot of the show. The thing, the thing, people I, I think misunderstand with the Taichi thing is like they're like, oh, they have that champ for him because he sucks. And it's like it's tempting to think that, but like, look who else is on this team? Like Azuka is on this team. Azuka <laughs> sucks way more than Taichi, and they don't have any. Mm-hmm. There's no Izuka go home chant. So no, it's not that he sucks. It's that he's a great heel. I won't be told otherwise. I cannot wait to watch Taichi versus Naito tomorrow. Oh yes, I haven't caught that match yet either. But... It's dropping on. Well, it's airing on Samurai tomorrow, so it'll, I'm sure it'll show up on the Real Hero Archive at some oh, point. I'm very excited excellent. for that. Um, Aaron, did you have any thoughts on this random ten man tag? Uh, not too much. I was happy to see Kashida because I'm a Kashida mark. Um... Other than that, uh, I, I don't, I don't have any negative thoughts on Tai Chi. I think he looks like a Tales of Symphonia villain. <laughs> he does look like a anime or like a Japanese JRPG villain. It's true, definitely. Um, his the the best part of these matches actually is the post match. If you guys are, if people aren't watching the stuff on YouTube now that it's translated, you really should be. And it's like, I think it's either night one or night two where like Eldest Rodder just kind of comes to the back and says something like. All they are putting me up against your old men or young lions, and I'm fucking sick of it. And it just like storms away. That was his entire <laughs> post match promo. It's so awesome. But yeah, I love I love these post match promos on these shows. They're so awesome. It's just completely, especially now that we can actually understand what they're saying. It's just completely different from what you know. Obviously, you'll get in other companies. Um, so match three: Tomohiro Ishii and Toriano defeating Yujiro Takahashi and Chase Owens. I should mention the winners, I realize. Match one, Elgin won with the Elgin Bomb in 804. Uh, match two, Kushida tapped out Taka with the hoverboard, lo- hoverboard lock, which I don't think it's called that anymore, Pure Wrestler Spirit. I think it's called just the Kushida lock. But hmm. either way, 806. So at least you, these matches are going quick. Wow. And then match three, Ishii and Yano, and Yano defeated Yujiro Takahashi and Chase Owens. Um, Ishii tapped out or defeated Owens with the vertical drop brain buster in 706. Any thoughts on this little tag ditty here? Either of you, yeah. I guess? Uh, I, don't, I don't have anything on the match itself. Um, just over... It, it's kind of obvious over the course of this weekend with uh, to jump ahead a little bit with, with Ishii and Yano uh, teaming and winning both weeks. They're trying to say, hey, this is a tag team now. They can They can get kind of involved in the tag team, makes it down the line. Uh, they gave both Ishii and Yano a pin over the two nights, so I I noticed that. Um, as for the work in the match, I didn't really notice or remember anything. It's interesting that they are getting these wins. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people think it's a big waste of Ishii, but like he's he's a guy that really can he can go up and down the card. You know, it's not really absolutely yeah, it's not a big deal for him to to drop down the card. So yeah, they, yeah. they have. They have so many top guys in this promotion. They can uh, just send Ishii off to the tag division for six months, and then if they ever need him for a big match, he wins one or two times, and he's back in that top mix instantly. Yeah. Do you have any yeah. thoughts on this match, Aaron? Um, I pretty much didn't like three quarters of who was in it. <laughs> the only guy I like is Ishii. So I did. I, I really struggled to 
kind of pay attention. I'm not a Toro Yano fan, which I have a good friend of mine who just always, he actually wore a Toro Yano shirt <laughs> during the rumble yesterday. So he was disappointed to hear my thoughts on him. I love Yano too. I'm not going to lie, but I just think <laughs> I it's, I just think it's awesome that this like amateur wrestler decided to, to just go down this path for whatever reason. He's just like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to like hit people with chairs and pull off turnbuckles and shit. But now I get these, not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. I enjoy Yano for a spot on the card. I don't think he should ever be anything other than what he is. Um, yeah, that's fair. The next match was the never open weight six fan tag titles. It was uh, the 14 champions and the 12 champions after they won them back after a day because God forbid these belts stand anybody for longer than a second. But they stayed on them here, though. Uh, Bad Luck Fale, Tamatang, and Tongaloa defeated Togi Makabe, uh, Toa Hanale, and Ryusuke Taguchi. 915. Um, Tonga apparently has a new submission. It's called the, according to Pure Spirit, it's called the Dream Catcher. There you go. I don't okay. know if that's accurate or not, but he submitted Hinare uh, to defend the titles. This one, I, I I enjoyed this match quite a bit, actually. I thought it was um, the... Basically, they, they, I thought the heat segment on, on Hinare, I believe, was never really boring at all. He's always important for a match like this. Very simple story. Um, the Taguchi Japan extended comeback, I thought was really cool, too. And then, you know, before, before it could really get boring at all, I thought it ended pretty quick. Um, you know, obviously a new submission and the finish wasn't over at all, but kind of came out of nowhere. So, you know, but you got to get the move over. You got to start somewhere. Over. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you do in the fourth match on a Hokkaido card. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, a, but it was a good match. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Again, uh, all I can really say is I have no problems with it. Um, it served, it serves its purpose on the card. Um, and as you said, the big thing is that it didn't really overstay its welcome at all. Uh, it was fine. It's interesting that there's two guys on the show that were trying to get over submission finishes. So it was kind of interesting that both uh, Tonga was trying to get the submission over and uh, Okada tried to get a submission over. So it's uh, mm-hmm. kind of interesting they both used. I, I don't know if Oka- I can't recall if Okada did it night two, no, or night one. Yeah, he he did. He he was using it on both. He he won with the move on night one, then he used it. I think in the post match in night two. Yeah, okay. he's really up. He's really all about getting that Cobra Clutch over right now, so. Yeah. It really wasn't, <laughs> it really wasn't over at the Dome, no, so I, I, they got they to gotta keep working on it, I guess. If they yeah, feel it's important. Um, then we have match five, which was the first of the two Koda, Koda Cody <laughs> six-man <laughs> tags. It was like Koda Ibushi, Juice Robinson, David Finley losing to the team of Cody, <sighs> Hangman Page, and Marty Scroll. Um. Ever since it turned out that Hangman Page is like, he was very, uh, he had some tweet, or you, you probably saw this car, when he was like yes. um, talking about like taking down Confederate statues or, or something. So now I just call him the woke rope man. That's I'm, what he used to me now. Yeah, I am mildly enthused by woke Hangman. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, this this match was, it was fine. I, I, like, I actually like the one on night two better. Because they were two very similar matches, just like swapping out one guy. But um, this yeah. one was okay. Cody, Cody, like angrily yelling about how much he loves Kenny Omega was really funny. I mean, kind of, I kind of had a, I kind of had a feeling where it was going, even though I was unspoiled. But mm. yeah, it was still really fucking fun. Cody has become very, very good at that kind of off mic dialogue. Um, I actually 
yeah, I, I found that to add a lot to his presentation, you know, uh, in, in both these matches here, but uh, obviously big at the, at the end of night too. Yeah. And the flip side is, is that Marty scroll is absolutely terrible at it. Cause mm-hmm. when he tried to yes. like, talk about, yeah, it was so bad. He's, it was just uh, no, no delivery. Marty's terrible at a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> I really can't I, stand him. I, uh, I, I definitely spent a long time uh, trying to defend what Marty is and isn't good at, but uh, more and more it's becoming obvious that he's kind of he's kind of stagnating. Yeah, um, I mean, like they, I will. They had like a post. I don't know if it was, I think it was on this one. It could have been on night two. Where like, uh, and the, on the YouTube post facts, they were like pushing him on a cart. And he was like singing about how great he was, basically, and that was kind of funny. But but again, that was pre-planned. So like, it's anything off the cuff with him, yeah, is really, it's not very good. So I don't know. But Cody, but back to posit- positivity though. Cody is really good at it, and he's he's got this character that's a very, you know, obviously his in-ring work is never going to be anything that special. But his character work has come a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, you need some of that. You know, and in New Japan and the I guess in the US Indies and stuff. You know, there's some, there's a lot of there's a lot of like characterless good wrestlers. So, yeah, you know, I don't I don't mind a good wrestler or a, a bad wrestler who has a lot of character. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I, mean, I like Cody more than I actually do, but he's really he was entertaining here. Cody Cody is really really you know he easily could have been a guy who left WWE and got like a six month nostalgia run and then kind of fizzled out into the middle of working nowhere indies, but he's really channeled this into something real you know and we should give him credit for it even if we even if what it produces isn't always to our tastes you're basically saying he could be Ryback or jack swagger before he did shoot <sighs> fights or yeah exactly like he's he another fucking guy so many dudes mm-hmm. um but yeah the match six was uh yoshihashi and will osprey against naito and hiromu uh naito won it in 11 19 with the jack hold and osprey after kicking him right in the deck <laughs> um, the, the, it was it was a really fun tag match. If you just kind of ignore like the Phantom Will Will Osprey knee injury, like that was really weird. I don't know why he bothered because it, like just kept reappearing and disappearing and appearing and disappearing. And it's like mm. it's a eleven minute it's an eleven minute tag match, and this knee injury doesn't play to the finish. Plus, there's a much more important knee injury in the main event. <laughs> so like it's like what the fuck are you doing, William? But um, other than that, though, it was a, it was a really fun tag match. Is yeah, that... absolutely. Um, I would absolutely enjoy the finish. Um, I really love Naito kind of embracing the heelish, the real Ingobernable side uh, after meeting back up with Roosh and just kicking a dude right in the dick to get the win. Um, that's um, that's it's kind of the natural progression for his character right now. I feel like, yeah. I really appreciate that Naito's kind of like realizing that he might have kind of got soft at the Wrestle Kingdom main event. Like he right. lost his focus. And so he's kind of going back to what worked for him and what really made him, you know, what he is today. So I'm I'm all good with that. What I don't understand is why Yoshihashi keeps trying to kind of be on his level. And I really appreciate that Naito is totally ignoring it but it still makes me feel like they're trying to do something there. It almost kind of reminded me of back in the day when like Matt Hardy would try to get himself involved in main event storylines and they would kind of just like swat him away. Yeah. And I think that is kind of what they're going for. And like, if you, again, if you watch these promos, I'm going to sound like a broken record with telling people to watch these promos. What he basically said at New Year's dash was like, he's, he's really tired of Naito being on such a higher level than him when they, 
when they um like they were they were in the same class basically. Mm -hmm. It's like you know, his whole thing is like we broke in together, and you think you're so much better than me. But the storyline is he he is so much better than you. <laughs> yeah, he's Tetsuya Naito, and you're fucking Yoshihashi. So like the way Naito did it, I'm a, like, okay, sometimes these really dry pure wrestling spirit like review like uh, recaps are really funny. I'm gonna read this one. Yoshihashi went on a rampage, attacking Naito and Hiromu after the match, but neither Naito nor Hiromu seemed to care after the fact as both returned to the ring to briefly pose and celebrate their victory once Yoshihashi had left. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what happened. He attacked them. They, Naito acted like he didn't give a shit about this man, like, actually attacking him, and just walked back to him and was like, whatever. <laughs> and again, the post-match the same thing. He, he actually accused, at one point after Naito, he accused Yoshihashi of, um, like, being too calm, which is, like, funny because clearly Yoshihashi is not being, you know, doesn't look like he's being calm at all. I think Naito is like basically sending this message. And, you know, at one point Yoshihashi said something like, um, you know, Naito, you think you're a god now or something. And then Naito in one of his promos says something like, you know, I'm a two-time Tokyo Sports MVP. What are you, who the hell are you? Basically. So he kind of does think he's a god and certainly compared to Yoshihashi. So yeah, I don't know. I dig I dig this kind of feud. Like it's it's very interesting dynamic and everybody's acting exactly how I feel like they should act. Gekoshihashi's completely just, you know, he's a nothing, and Naito yeah. is treating him like a nothing. So I think it's effective. So I was going to very much a sports. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. What, what was that? Like a sport all the time, where the the top stars kind of thing when they first broke in probably had guys who were also like close to them and like draft rankings kind of thing. So when one guy explodes and the other guy struggles, the guy who struggles always tries to kind of start something up with them to try to, you know, magic. So it's kind of good to see it that way. Yeah. It's like, Oh, it's like if, you know, to use a hockey analogy, it's like, I don't know if he really came from this draft class, but it's like Sidney Crosby and like Patrick Maroon or something. Like both came from like the same draft class, and Patrick Maroon is like really upset at Sidney Crosby for being so much better than him. They're like, well, he's he's Crosby and you're Patrick Maroon, buddy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I thought of that. I just that, that name just popped in my head. Yeah. Oh, Dubinsky would have been a good basketball analogy. So, <laughs> what were you gonna say, Dubinsky? That's a good one. Because yeah. Brandon, is, he, is he still even in the fucking league? He's injured. He's oh, like, okay. So. He's got a long term injury, but yeah. Dubinsky messed with Crosby like pretty much every single game kind of thing. And so like, and it's basically just because Dubinsky thinks that he's, I guess Dubinsky thinks he's on his level or he's being a pest. I'm not sure. But yeah, that's, that's kind of what Yoshihashi is being as a pest. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, uh, he, he won't, he won't leave the star alone. Basically. I was going to compare him to Dion waiters for your basketball analogy, but y'all both went hockey. So I feel outnumbered now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, I, I enjoyed this feud. I enjoyed this match. Just, just will just leave out the stupid knee injury next time. Um, but then match semi or not the semifinal match seven: Okada, Goto, and Gato against Sonata, Evil, and Bushi. Uh, Okada tapped out Bushi at eleven fifty two at the Cobra Clutch. Um, this was pretty good. I don't know. There wasn't. It wasn't a lot to it, but it was fine. Yeah, um, uh, not not as good as the two matches before it. Uh, yeah. So it just just felt like another undercard match. I think if you dropped Gato and uh, and Bushi and just made it, you know, Goto and Okada against Okada, probably would have been more interesting to me. Oh, well, well that's gonna, gonna that's a match of Kurikan. 
yeah, they're gonna main event Kraken mm-hmm. with that with that match for yeah. the tag titles. Oh, I'm okay, very cool. excited for that match. Yeah. Yeah, so that'll we'll be more any, interesting. Especially being in, in front of the Kirk and crowd too, just having a tag title match at Kirk and it's gonna be really cool. I think they're gonna like be really hot for that match. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Um the, I mean the thing I found kind of bizarre, obviously in the post match, you know, Okada got really aggressive where you know the Sonata's whole thing is not talking. So Okada basically said, you know, I want you to talk. And Sonata did this great thing. He got in the ring, picked up the microphone, just immediately threw it down and, and left the ring again. Like I was I was dying at that. That was awesome. But then Okada, like, you know, ramp the ramp, attack him from behind, throws him in the ring, stuffs the Okada bucks down his throat. And it's like, <laughs> well, okay, so we have, in the match before this, we have Naito kicking a guy in the dick for a pin. You know, he's been as heelless as, as he's ever been since the Tokyo Dome lost. But then his rival, the other top guy, Okada, is, you know, stuffing Okada dollars down a guy's throat or attacks him from behind. It's very, it's very weird that we have, like, you know, the two biggest stars in the company both being huge dicks at the same time. But, um, you know, but it, also, it, leaves, it, it just also, leaves kind of a gaping hole as, like, top for top baby face, it feels like. Yeah, but it, but it's also, it, it definitely doesn't feel forced. It feels natural with their characters, you know. Both, oh, yeah. Both of them, have, you know, come from that place. So um, just something to add a little spice to some matches that I don't, I think otherwise would be, especially the Naito Yoshihashi match would be a little hard to sell at, at the time. And Okada Sonata, um, you know, in the end, we all know who's going over there. So yeah. there has to be some way to drive, to drum up excitement. And some of that is going to be, uh, put on, you know, everyone's perception of Sonata's ability to work, and some of that's going to be, hey, Okada's going to spice it up with a new character angle. I, I like it. I do. I like yeah, it I too. I just found well, it interesting to point that out that they're both being dicks at the same time. I also don't feel like there's any way for Okada to continue being a good guy at this point. Oh, like I he's agree. pretty much beaten everybody, and like they really felt like at this point, I, I use the term Mad King. <laughs> much power that at some point everything is going to piss him off and push him across the edge because there's nothing that can really like inspire him anymore when he's already feels like he's beaten everybody whereas with Naito it's who he is so the fans loved him eventually being who he was whereas with Okada it's more he's just drunk with power yeah and the and the fans do not love it because you could hear them booing Okada what do you did that uh, that uh, Okada Bucks thing, but I do think it's the natural progression of his character, and he is so much more interesting to me when he acts like a heel than when he's acting like a baby face because the face stuff always feels really forced with him. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, but you know, there's no world that you can't be an ace and be a dickhead. I mean, Anoki could be a dickhead. Let's be real. <laughs> um, oh, then yeah. the semifinal, we had uh, the six man tag, Mega. Nick and Matt Jackson defeating Jay White and Punky 3K. Omega used, you know, is that that uh, whatever the hell it's called? The I know that the indie taker, but it's, I think they have a different name for it, right? When they do the incestive version, I'm not gonna parse through all the elite movies, <laughs> <laughs> but some kind of assistant indie taker on Yo for the pin. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I the Jay White stuff is really interesting to me, it's not an angle that New Japan really does ever. And again, this is another thing where if you're watching the post-match stuff, he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's really like, he makes it very clear. Like, if, if you watch the post-match for this, like, basically, you know, showing you'll get back there, Jay White, like, shows up after in the middle of the promo, like, kind of condescendingly tells them, great job, team. 
after they just lost and then just kind of like then walks away while they're all looking like what the fuck and, he, and rocky just you know right out and says it like i don't know about him <laughs> i don't know what the hell's basically like i don't know what his deal is and then he comes back and tries to like stir up more shit he's like well i think we saw a chance for our titles we want so i want to challenge for the, the for okada eventually but you guys are challenge you know will osprey for the junior title and they're all looking at him like what the fuck is wrong with you so it's really great but um you know it's the kind of angle they haven't done in a long time so i'm pretty into it and it actually feels like you know something is going on with these fucking units which i realize is a bigger is a big reason why i like it so much because you know these units have been so stagnant for so long in new japan and now you got jay white and chaos which is you know not to go for the easy cliche causing chaos and you have omega and all the other stuff we can get into in night two um, even here, it kind of started because, you know, the young bucks are too busy posing to see Jay White like sneak up behind Omega and lay him out the Blade Runner. But as far as the match itself, it was it was a match, you know, it was a pretty standard six man tag, I thought. But um, so so, total spot, total spot fast. Yeah. So during this match, I uh, was definitely focused in on Jay White. You know, he was the he was the person who kind of. I, I knew what everyone else would do. I knew that the Omega and Bucks would do their thing. I, I love Sho and Yo and, and their thing. So I was I was really honed in to see how how is Jay going to perform in this context? What is he going to be doing? How what is his interaction with other Chaos members going to be? And I really liked it. I saw a lot of the stuff that you were talking about in his in his mannerisms. He's kind of like being this evil mastermind who's ostentatiously celebrating every time that Sho and Yo get a good spot over and just is disdainful and pissed off every time that they're selling it um it was it's something new and interesting um and you're right it has the thing the thing i always felt about chaos is that it hasn't really made any sort of sense like <laughs> it really it, it, like it's like it's hard to define what chaos actually is as a stable and now we all understand oh whatever it is it's not this guy this guy doesn't belong here <laughs> and like kind of by understanding that you, you kind of get a clearer sense of like what chaos is it's really i'm i'm enjoying jay white yeah chaos is like it, it's basically i i think it's really interesting interesting they're pointing out basically like rocky Merrill flat out says it after the match when he suggests like they should be able to challenge for osprey's title he's like we don't do that and i thought <laughs> i thought that was really important to say and be like look we don't we don't challenge for each other's belts because everybody probably remembers when Ichii beat Okada in the G1 a couple of years ago, and he never got that shot, the heavyweight title. And it's just, the idea is that he just, they're not going to challenge each other. And the same thing when Nakamura won the, um, he won the New Japan Cup at, in 2015, I believe it was, or yeah, 2015. So he, you know, he should have been, you know, in a lot, of, or no, was it 2015 or 2014? Doesn't matter. Point is, he won the New Japan Cup. And he had his choice of title, and you know Okada was champ as a heavyweight champion at the time. And instead of challenging, you know Okada, he challenged Tanahashi for the Intercontinental title again. And it's again, it's a very, it's it's like a built up trope at this point that they don't challenge each other for their belts. So to have this guy come in and just kind of like really shake up this tor- core tenant of the group, kind of like what Caro just said, it, it actually gives the group a, a core tenant, which it feels like they don't have a lot of the fucking time. So I think it's very interesting. I don't. I have no idea where it's going either, which is cool. Um, I think there there's a real feeling that a lot of groups are going to break soon. Like they're mm-hmm. like the, you just can't keep all of these groups together. There's so many of these matches were you know just basically group versus group, and 
you know, it, I just really felt like there's going to be some real splintering and maybe some fresh groups that they can actually sell new merchandise for or something that can, you know, kind of freshen it up and kind of, I, I really hope they kind of realize they have a lot of guys that have similar looks or similar styles, but they're in different factions. And maybe if they break a few apart, they can kind of put those guys together and give them more of a uniform or semblance. Yeah, it's an interesting point. And, um, you know, I, I, you could argue they did break one up at the end of the second show, although it remains to be seen how far yeah. that goes. But, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there is a shakeup coming, and I don't know how far they're going to go with it. I'm really, you know, Gato often gets criticized for being too conservative, if anything. Um, so that does, and some of that is true. So I hope, you know, I hope that he, he really goes far with it here. But, you know, we'll see. Um, the match itself, just a spot fest. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the main event of the evening, which was, you know, all these matches had gone pretty short, and this one definitely did not. It was Hiroshi Tanahashi and Minoru Suzuki for the IWGP Intercontinental title. Um, Suzuki won the title in 32-28 via referee stop on a heel hold. Um, the champion fails on the fifth defense, and Suzuki becomes the 17th champion. So this was a really interesting match. Um you know, it was very, it was very slow. Obviously, it was very slow going a lot of the way. Um, Suzuki, you know, obviously is a very effective bully heel. Tanahashi can still sell his ass off. I like this match a lot. Um, not quite as much as some other people, but I gave it like four and a quarter. And it was very similar to the Suzuki Okada heavyweight heavyweight title match from last year. But I thought this one was way better for a couple of different reasons. First of all, that Tanahashi is just, you know, better at selling a limb than Okada is. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not Okada's strength, in my opinion. But I thought Tanahashi was great at it here. And, you know, and second of all, it just played into the finish of the match better, which isn't entirely, you know, Okada and Suzuki's fault last year because, you know, Okada was going to go over. That's fine. It just felt like 40 minutes of that legwork just really, you know, ended up just with Okada you know when he hit that fucking drop kick i was i just really it was infuriated me and then you know to hit that drop kick and then go through his moves and win it just kind of felt made the whole thing feel pointless but here you know obviously the legwork ends up playing all the way into the finish with you know suzuki just destroying the leg destroying the leg destroying the leg um you know at one point he does the the high fly count like the he counters the high fly flow right into a leg lock which is really awesome and then, you know, there's another another point where, like, Tanahashi has on the, the Texas Cloverleaf, and Suzuki, like, kind of crawls with his head in between Tanahashi's legs, and, like, just rips at the leg and just, like, pulls it out from under him to, to break the hole, which is, again, a really cool mm-hmm. uh, spot that's, you know, tied into the whole match. And, you know, I, I, the only reason I want to go, go even higher than four and a quarter is just because I thought, you know, they could have probably cut five minutes and the amount of time he spent in the leg locks felt like almost melodramatic, but overall I thought it was a really good match and, you know, a very strong main event. Uh, you I would, think? Um, yeah, I, th- I think I'd mostly have to agree with you. Um, you you kind of hit all the points that I was going to and that I would most closely compare it to the Okada and Suzuki match from last year, except it uh, Tanahashi is more suited for that role. Um, in terms of going long or being melodramatic, um, I definitely thought it was melodramatic, but I'm not even sure that I would say that that's a bad thing in this situation. You know, these are two kind of, you know, blown out, I would say almost cartoonish sort of characters. You know, uh, Suzuki's probably the purest, you know, old school heel in the company, and Tanahashi most of the time is kind of your 
archetypical baby face in the company. So uh, I, I'm fine with how long uh, it went, especially um, in terms of having to sell referee stoppage being like a plausible finish. Like that heel hook needs to be longer than any heel hook in history. Well, yeah, um, the, the last one I didn't have a problem with. It was more like a, there was a couple early in the match that I think they could have uh, shortened. But you're right, the last one should be really long. Yeah, the last one and the ones leading up to it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. It, I, I definitely wouldn't call it a perfect match um, or my favorite match of the year um, or even my favorite match of the year with Minori Suzuki in it. Um, but yeah, and the um, one last thing that I do want to especially call out about this is the performance of Red Shoes Uno um, <laughs> in, the, in that last 10 minutes of that match, just pleading back and forth with Tanahashi. Like, that, that the, like the whole story of that match is just... Um, Tanahashi and and Red Shoes just yelling at each other for the past ten minutes while Tanahashi's in this heel hook and like threatening this referee stoppage, threatening, threatening, and Tanahashi no 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 forever until it finally happens. And for you know having to play such a big part in the match, uh, Una hit it out of the park in terms of charisma. He's incredible. And and there's also by the way, obviously you know not, none of us speak Japanese, so we didn't realize it at the time. But apparently Togi Makabe on commentary was like furious at red shoes and like just yelling about how he should have stopped it way sooner and how that could have been, you know, the end of his career. And I thought that that's the kind of thing that really makes new Japan. Like, you know, I know people, people hate when I do this, but it feels more like a sport and feels more real when you have a, you know, one of the other baby faces on commentary, like yelling about the referee decision. So, you know, that's good, good stuff. Yeah, I, I I am in awe of Suzuki just for the fact that the age he is and how good he is works a pretty regular schedule. I actually decided to look up guys around his age, and it's like you're looking at like Ric Flair in 98 or Terry Funk in 93 or KJ Muto in 2011 or maybe Undertaker in 2014. Like just compare Suzuki to those guys at the same age. He schedule, he works harder, he's more interesting absolutely and it uh, everything he does in those matches from his facials and the pace and how he worked that leg and all of it i was just i just absolutely loved it it sold him for me in terms of now on that i i just absolutely loved suzuki in this yeah i have to i have to take a mea culpa on him because last year i i kind of i kind of felt like he was done when he was on and that never title run where they were all gimmick matches and all you know a million dudes running in but He's really turned it around here in the last like, I don't know, like three months or so. So you know, between mm-hmm. his his outside work last year was still good because remember he did that um he did that amazing comedy match at the Dome with which is Shiro Takagi. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the the Hanakamura or that not the Hanakamura the Kyoko Kamura retirement show where he was in a tag match you know um just like a trios match actually and just like you know, really taking it to poor Hannah in that match. And the the Kaki Rai match too was really, really awesome. So like all of his outside stuff was good. So I should have I should have, you know, figured out that it was more of a storyline thing. But you know, I still kind of felt like, you know, I don't know if he has it anymore. And between this match and the Goto match at the dome, he's really proved me wrong. So I hope absolutely. he keeps it up. Absolutely. And um obviously he's not gonna be able to work the same pace as, you know, your Okadas and your Omegas, et cetera, et cetera. But um, in short bursts, um, the athleticism, those drop kicks, uh, he still got something there. The dro- 
drop kick, the high drop kick, and the drop kick to the knee that spots in the match. I mean, the fact that I remember both of those so clearly, they were they were fantastic. Yeah, and I'm hoping that the fact that Suzuki won this clean with no interference is like a sign already that his uh, IC title reign will be different from his never reign because nobody wants to see that stuff, you know. <laughs> so I would like. I hope it keeps going, and you know he's he should be his next challenger. As we found out the next night is Togi Makabe, and this, he can beat Togi Makabe clean. I think I don't think we need you know Izuka running in with the iron fingers for that. But um, all right, so that wraps up a I would say a good show, but very much kind of a one match show. Like you can pretty much skip everything else with the main event if you really want to. I would say everything else was fine. If you want something on uh, to watch in the background while you're doing something else, this undercard is a is a pretty average New Japan undercard. Uh, but but yeah, if you're if you're going out of your way to watch something, you uh, you have to watch that one match and everything else. You're fine skipping. I completely agree with the whole idea of it just being in the background. I also just wanted to mention or ask: Does anyone think that Tanahashi is going to be gone for most of the year or? Do you think he's going to try to come back quick, or what do you think when it comes to Tanahashi and how long he's actually going to be out? It's tough, Carl. Car, why don't you take this first? What do you think? I uh, have expected Tanahashi to be gone for a long time on multiple occasions already in 2017, and he comes right back, and I look like an idiot. So <laughs> it's so it's hard to say over and over. Uh, all I know is that he has officially been ruled out of the rest of the New Beginning tour. He's not going to work those Osaka shows. Um, and I honestly could see him coming right back after that. But um, the, the way they set up this angle, I surely hope that they mean for it to be longer. I think if I had to guess, and my car is saying you never fucking know. Um, so he's already advertised for that Ring of Honor deal in, uh, you know, WrestleMania weekend. That could end up being bullshit. Maybe they just, you know, they decide to take him off it and it's not a big deal to them. But if I had to guess, I think, you know, obviously, like you just said, he's off a new beginning. I think that this might have been a way to get him out, you know, to keep him out of the New Japan Cup. So maybe he won't come back to the New Japan Cup, but then he'll come back right after and do the do the Strong Style Evolve show at Long Beach and do the, um, you know, Sakura Genesis and Mania weekend. But it could, it could be longer. But I feel like even if he gets like a month off for Tanahashi, it's like an eternity. So... I know it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's right if he's back. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's back on the New Japan Cup, but I'm hoping they're at least going to keep him out of that. It also wouldn't surprise me that much if he were really were out for, uh, you know, almost all year out for the G1, maybe come back like King of Pro Wrestling time. It, I absolutely don't know. Yeah. Um, speaking of, I, I should have mentioned at the start, but Strong Style Evolved, that was a fucking. <laughs> that was an adventure yeah, trying to get I, tickets for that today. I heard you I tried and somehow succeeded at getting tickets. Yeah, like the they next next time they do this, they need to use like I, you know everybody hates Ticketmaster, but at least they have like some kind of bot protections because I feel like basically like the 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 issue today was like so I I, I logged on at pretty much like I was refreshing it before one o'clock when it was supposed to go on sale just in case it like went on early because that's that's actually happened to me before and. I was so I was definitely refreshing at exactly at one o'clock, and it wouldn't let me. It wouldn't let the, the site load. By the time the site loaded, you know, we're talking like less than five minutes in, almost every seat was gone. So you're talking like everybody refreshing like me, and the, the lucky ones who got through, and like a lot of bots for these fucking scalper sons of bitches. So I got lucky. I ended up getting two tickets because 
you know, basically take whatever that somebody else released and didn't finish purchasing. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, it was, it was like kind of like lower bleachers or whatever, which is fine. But I, I was kind of hoping for ringside, but yeah. And then like 10 minutes after I got my tickets, they completely shut it down and were like, Oh, we're actually sold out. So that was pretty ridiculous. And now if you want to sit ringside, you can go pay like 400 or $500 on StubHub already. So Ugh. that's where all the tickets <laughs> went basically. But yeah, what are you going to do? Well, Japan, like... the, the way the Japanese do it is so much better because like the only way you can get ringside to New Japan in Japan is like to be a, a New Japan fan club member. And nobody nobody in a fan club is reselling your t- their tickets. No. It's all just people paying face value and going. So, well, yeah. It looks like the company's uh, been surprised by their own success on two straight tours to LA. So, um... yeah. I mean, they need to like figure it out already. That there's high demand for these fucking shows. Absolutely. I mean, they could have they could have built. They definitely could have run a bigger building. I think, but oh, I th- I, it also makes me think that all in show is going to be fine. Oh, oh yeah, they can be between the scalpers and the and like just fans. I think they can. You know, if they if they can sell out a five thousand seat building for this New Japan show in like five minutes, I'm sure they can do a ten thousand seat for that. You know. It just what it'll come down to is whether or not who knows whether or not ten thousand fans will actually be in the building, and will the scalpers take a bath on it, which you never really know on. Personally, I hope they do take a bath on it because fuck them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, night two of New Beginning in Sapporo, January twenty eighth, back at the Prefectural Sports Center. So, so if you want to know why they do these, um, we you know you guys were talking before about splitting up. The one card and the two card. I think it was actually Aaron talking about it. Last year, doing one new beginning Sapporo, I believe they drew something like 5,800 fans. This year, they drew 5,140 for the show and something like 4,800 for the first night. So, first of all, good on Omega and the Knife Pervert for outdrawing Tanahashi and Suzuki. Um, but, yeah, like that's a combined total of like 10,000 fans. So, it's just so many more tickets sold when you do these two-night deals that even if neither night does quite the number of the one night did, obviously they're just, they're making way more money on it. So yeah, I guess it makes way more sense to do it that way. Um, but yeah, so the, the first thing, by the way, is Tanahashi's out for the night, obviously after the angle, he was play, replaced by totally suitable replacement, Toa Hanare. There you go. <laughs> um, the match show opened with Kitamura and Juice Robinson. The next match in the seven match trial series, uh, Juice won in nine sixteen with the um, pulp, pulp friction. Um, yeah, this was awesome. Uh, way better than night one, I thought. Like, early on, it wasn't wasn't anything great, but, like, Kinemaru's chops were just freaking sick. And Juice, Juice, like, I don't know, he was, like, all over him and just, like, I, I don't know, really felt like Kinemaru could win if you really, like, let yourself believe it. And, you know, Juice really made him look like a million bucks, I thought, and he, he was awesome here, and Kinemaru was great. And, you know, I went three and a half on this. I thought it was awesome. So, two great, two very good wrestlers already for Kenemura, and obviously everybody knows Juice is good. Yeah, my my thoughts on this is that um, it was really our first chance to see what Kitamura is going to look like once he's no longer a young lion. Um, working a lot of this match as like the big monster who is obviously overpowering the other guy, and is is going to work a lot of the match on top. And you know, even even though he's a young lion in this case, which is an interesting decision in itself, and he did great um this could this 
was a very legitimate singles match. I could easily picture this match happening in the G1 like next year and being even better than this. I I don't really know how to feel about Juice Robinson at this point because he sometimes looks like he's going to be a top star and other times he feels like he's just going to be a mid-card guy. And this was definitely a match where I felt like that he showed everything. He showed charisma. He he was wrestling great. He connected. It, it was just, and he really made Kitamura look really good. And I was really happy that he didn't wrestle another Haas in this match. But yeah, I, I really liked this match. It was really exciting. And it, you know, it made me kind of watch Juice Robinson wonder what more can you do with him? And that's really where I'm at with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it kind of feels like he might have reached his peak in New Japan, but, you know, if if not, then I'm definitely, you know, I'm here for it. If they want to keep pushing him, they can keep pushing him. And um, even if they even if they don't, he can be a mid card guy who's around forever them and just be the next Hiroki Goto, you know, essentially, and yeah, be fine in that role. Exactly. Um, but match two was a yet another Suzuki Goon versus Seki Goon match. Uh, Kanemaru, Taichi, Desperado, and Taka defeating Jushin Liger, Tiger Mask, Ryusuke Taguchi, and Shota Amino. Uh, Taichi pinning Amino on 8.32 in the super kick. Now, I didn't see this match, but I understand there was some controversy about, like, Taichi and Taguchi and, like, you know, Taichi's second. Um, God, what the fuck is your name? I, can, I follow uh, her on Twitter. Miho. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if we really want to get into that. It's I, I hope... I, it'd be nice if New Japan could be above this kind of thing. Like it's not, it's not good. But if anyone wants to talk about it, you can you can talk about it. But it's pretty gross. Yeah, it was. Uh, it it makes sense. Like, I mean, I guess that it's like almost like the creepy grandpa going after the young girl kind of thing. I I don't get it. It's, oh, it was just yeah. It was yeah. That's my reaction. It yeah. wasn't good. No, it yeah. wasn't good. Um, what was good in this match was Shadow Amino. Um, <laughs> just to get to something more fun, um, Shadow Amino um, fit right into this undercard tag match. Um, had a great performance as a babyface, kind of um, emulating the role that uh, Kawata was just playing um, for the last couple months of just being on these fun undercard tag matches and having a great little babyface heat segment for like two minutes, running wild and usually losing. Um, kind of New Japan rubbing it into the face that into our face that yeah even though Kawata's leaving uh, we have a replacement for him already lined up and he's great uh, we just have an embarrassment of talent. Um, so match some oh so match number three, Tomohiro Ishii and Toriano defeated Yujiro Takahashi and Hikuleo I guess is his name now whatever. Um, Yano got had a schoolboy in Hikuleo. Um, so I guess I would assume Ishii and Yano are going to be getting a tag title shot here since, you know, they won two nights in a row and usually, you know, Gato doesn't book stuff like that for no reason most of the time. Um, what did you guys think? I think I, Meh. yeah, I, yeah. I went over what I thought like on, on the last night. Um, yeah. It's interesting tag team booking. Uh, they gave a pin to Yano because they gave a pin to Ishii the night before. So got to get them both over and yeah. it was fun. Not much to say on this, Aaron. Not much. Uh, I know that Haku was the one who told him, well, basically gave him the name Hikuleo, so that's oh, why that's he's going cool. by that. Yeah, I did not know that. Um, match number four was Bullet Club versus Sekigun. 
We have Bad Luck Folly, Tamatanga, Leo Tonga, and Chase Owens defeating Toge Makabe, Hiroshi Tenzan, Minabu Nakanishi, and my boy, my anime boy, Tomoyuki Oka. Um, Owens sadly pitting Oka with 904, the package pile driver. Um, any thoughts on this one? Uh, in these sort of matches, you're like the last one. You're usually watching the Young Lion and uh, to see what to see what they got. And o- Oka's good. Uh, you know, he's a, he's the anime boy, and but also he's he's progressing in the ring. Um, he looks like he's something there for them too. Um, it's I guess it's nice to see Chase Owens getting a pin, just to say that everyone on the roster gets a pin sometimes. Uh, just like uh, Taichi got a pin the night before, you know Taichi really gets the opportunity to get, get a pin, so why not? I was I was getting real, I guess, exhaustion from watching Bullet Club matches at this point, so I was getting kind of tired of it. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was all right, and I you know I enjoyed it a little bit, but. Uh, yeah, at this point, I was almost I was starting to struggle to pay attention just because I was getting kind of exhausted with the multi man matches, especially Bullet Club ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, so in the post match, by the way, Chase Owens was like really, really excited to to be an honorary Tongan. Like he kept yelling like to the rest of them as like my fellow Tongans, which it is very weird to hear a white person yell that. But he was like. He was saying, like, I don't know, it was very, like, he was very, like, sincere about it. It was really, it didn't feel like he was mocking them. It felt like he was really excited to be an honorary talking. And it was, so, I was like, you know what, Chase? Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so it is interesting um, what we're seeing in, in terms of Bullet Club, in terms of that angle at the end. Um, you see the whole Tongan faction of Bullet Club fall out. Basically, everyone in this match weren't weren't in that angle at the end of the show at all. So. He got three um, bullet clubs basically, right? Is what you yeah. at it. You got like yeah. Cody, Cody Bullet Club, you know, uh, Kenny, Kenny and Coda, and like I guess if you want to like the end of being the elite, maybe the Young Bucks, but it's not really clear yet. And then you got like the Tongan faction, and they're like, yeah. you know, it's it's these Ujiro. three, these three and Chase and um and Ujiro, yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. It's like they're they're kind of like I don't know, Tamatonga in the post matches again was kind of he sounds like he's pretty anti Omega, but he hasn't really said anything that would make you think he's like pro, um, you know, pro uh, Cody, really. So I don't know. It's like we have three distinct bullet clubs basically right now. It's very interesting. I've rarely seen uh, Tamatonga really interact with Cody, but I do recall, I think it was at G1 where Tamatonga was really critical about Omega and was kind of going for his throat for a bit so but he he would like he yelled a lot about the elite thing he didn't like the elite which makes no. sense I guess. yeah huh? um but yeah so match five was michael elgin and toa hanare losing to minoru suzuki and takashi azuka suzuki got the women 818 with the heel hold um i don't know not lots of this match it was all right yeah, uh, I think this is about where I tuned out of this undercard. Um, nice to see that they're um, keeping they're keeping the heel hold over specifically as a move, um, which is smart. Uh, Cashing a lot of the equity that you built up in that last match. Um, yeah, that's about it. Felt like a Suzuki victory lap where he was just kind of coming out to almost brag about what he did the night before, than uh, than exactly having 
you know, a great match or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the post-match had Makabe coming out to make the save for Inare when they were continuing the attack afterwards, which makes sense because they have this weird little relationship. Um, yeah. And, and then, then, like... And then the, sorry, thing you mentioned on the, the thing you mentioned on the commentary last night with, with Makabe on commentary getting super incensed during the match, it, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything they do, you know, ends up playing into something. So it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, like then we have Makabe and Suzuki at some point. We'll see if that's a match for, you know, it could be a match for Sakura Genesis, could be a match for uh, the anniversary show. Anniversary show, we don't really know. So we'll have to say. Um, then we had match number six, which was the the second Koda Cody six fan tag. Um, Cody, Hangman Page, and Marty Squirrel defeating Koda Ibushi, David Finley, and Kushida. Uh, Hangman Page, again, for the second straight night, gets the pin in 10.30 with the rite of passage on Kushida. You know, when Hangman getting the pin twice in a row would end up making sense once they, um, you know, at the end of the night, of course. So again, they don't really do stuff like that. It's very different if you're watching, if you're used to watching, you know, WWE television and stuff where, you know, who wins matches generally doesn't mean anything. You know, here, it's like whoever wins the fall is going to be probably be a big deal. So you should pay attention to stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like the, the match itself, I thought this was really the, by far the better of the two, uh, six fans here, you know, early on, like it, I was I, on Twitter, just like, this is the, the best use of Marty Squirrel possible. A comedy idiot who can't break simple holds mm. because like, <laughs> Kushida kept putting him in all these, you know, very simple wrist lock. And, you know, um, I, they were going on and on, on, on the English commentary about how, what a great technical wrestler scroll was and how he was going to get out of it right away. And he just couldn't get out his wrist lock it was just so fucking funny um but yeah and then like it was it was it was a pretty interesting little ta- six-man tag um you know I, I cody actually is getting actual reactions for the first time in his new japan career which is cool i assume that's because they finally gave him a real feud mm-hmm. with a guy that people care about and kota ibushi instead of just being this guy that would that was dropping in for like one show every other month and winning a match and then leaving, which, you know, New Japan fans didn't give a shit. Why Why should they, you know? But now that at least he has an actual feud, people do kind of get, care about him. So funny how that works. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, uh, same as you. Um, better than the night before. Um, David Finlay looks distressingly like a skinnier Chris Hero at this point, which is very strong. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That uh, that that was one of my bigger takeaways from the from these sets of matches. Um, yeah, that was really, that was like vicious girl. <laughs> that was really. Uh, look, it's fine. Um, yeah, no, uh, everything's fine. It's nice to see them. Uh, yeah, it's nice to see Cody get a reaction. Um, I guess, and if they're if they're going to use him to a high level, so yeah, it's fine. <laughs> It was good. I liked it, but I don't know. It was cool. I think that the Kota Ibushi double stomp into a moonsault to the outside was probably my spot of the night. Yeah, that was awesome. Thought, I'm glad you yeah, brought that, that up. That was really impressive. Um, and then Cody started yelling again about how much he loved Kenny Omega. Although there was like a really interesting little, um, I don't want to say like a like a hint almost. I don't remember if it was during when he was like at the commentary or if it was at, on the backstage one, but like, so, so Ken, 
Cody's yelling. He yells, God bless America. God bless Kenny Omega. And then Marty tries to add, yeah, God bless Canada. And I can't do it for a second. God bless Canada. And God bless the UK. You know, of course, Kenny Omega's from Canada. And Cody just says, yeah, great. And just walks away. <laughs> and it's like, I thought that was like a cool little <laughs> hint that we're, maybe he's not being completely serious here. But, or maybe he just only likes America. I don't know. Yeah, maybe Cody's just a nationalist. It's fine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that was that was cool, and of course that that would come into play again later. Uh, match seven, I, do, I will say, I I think some people will read the God bless Kenny Omega stuff as like really hokey, but I like some hokiness in wrestling, you know. Like I knew where that was going to go. I knew that Cody was being over the top, ridiculous, just to, to, to set up the turn later. Even though, I, again, I wasn't spoiled watching this, but um, you know, I just it, it was fine though. So it was like you know, it's I, character I, work. It's character work, yeah. Yeah, Cody. Cody makes it all work with his character. And if basically anyone else on this on this roster trying to deliver that, it wouldn't have worked. But Cody's made it his. I totally. Agree. Yeah, there's nothing Cody does that's like low key. So him being no. bombastic and such is just who he is. So it's when he, you know, at the very end of the night, does something that's a little kind of low key until it's something you know impactful that. You know, that's where you kind of see where kind of the tell is. Um, so the match seven was for the Chaos versus LIJ 10-man tag. Okada, Goto, Yoshihashi, Osprey, and Gato uh, being defeated by Sonata, Evil, Naito, Hiromu, and Bushi. Sonata tapping out Gato in 1219 with the skull end. Um, you know, these these 10-man tags are always you know, you know, I, I know a lot of people are sick of them, but they're always good. So I can't, like, I, I don't know if mm-hmm. if they're going to do this, if they're going to do a match over and over again, it may as well be a match that's good every time. You know, like <laughs> I can understand if you're just sick of it anyway, but they're always good. And like Lij just have so much chemistry together. Absolutely. So I don't that, know. That's what really powers the bit is that Lij just like teaming as a five man unit. It somehow always feels like a tiny bit special when you get like all five of them together. In a match, they feel though... like they, they feel like they're the party in Final Fantasy VIII, and it's like it's going to come out that they all were raised in the same orphanage. <laughs> and like, okay, that's the perfect event because they have uh, perfect chemistry together. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, when I when I was railing against like the multi man matches, it was mostly the Bullet Club ones. I, I'm I was fine with this match. I really liked it. So, yeah. I just know there's a few people. There's like Rich and I think Rich on the Voice of Sync flagship, and a few other people I've seen are just like really sick of the Lij Chaos ten, Chaos Ten Mans. But I don't know. They can they can keep doing this for the rest of my life if they want to, as long as it's still yeah. good. And I and I don't disagree that it's repetitive. Like it, it is repetitive. But if if you're as you said, if you're going to repeat something, this is this is a good collection to do it with. But but as as we were talking about before with Jay White, I'm I'm ready for the Chaos Shakeup. I'm I'm ready for something new. Um, but yeah, this was this was a really cool match. There's one point where like Will Osprey, he did like he does that dumbass handspring he always does, and Hiromu just catches him on it in midair and just like <laughs> fucking drops him on his head with a high angle German <laughs> suplex. I was like, good. I'm glad someone finally someone finally I know that's gonna be crazy. I know. Um, but yeah, evil evil and Goto then I like, kind of tagged in and take us to Big Boy Town, but yep. didn't, it didn't last long enough unfortunately because. Okay, kind of tied in at that point and then like okada was like doing these like he kept his dickhead mode going because he was doing these like those little dickhead kicks that a lot of pure guys do where they're just like you know almost like taunting the guy with his weak little kicks and the crowd was like really getting on him for those kicks 
And, you know, Sonata, when Sonata fired up and fought back, it was great. Um, but then towards towards the end, like when Sonata hit the moon, I think the moonsault on Gato. And like Will Ospreay had like the weirdest way to break up a cover of a scene. So like Sonata's laying on top of Gato and Ospreay just like jumps directly on him. Like almost like he's jumping into bed with him. It was like really weird. Like <laughs> guys do not usually break up pins like that. But like, yeah, he just like laying it right on top of him. I was like, okay, well. But um, but yeah, and then they, you know, Sonata taps out Gator went like right after that anyway. Um, but it was it was cool. And then Naito continued not to give a shit about Yoshihashi, um, <laughs> physically attacking him, which is really awesome. Um and then yeah, it was uh you know, Sonata after the match finally did speak. He just said, You wanna hear my voice so bad, Okada? I'm gonna end you in Osaka. It was awesome. That's all he that's all he had to say. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Um, but yeah, then we get to the semi-main event, the IWGP Junior Tag Team Championship. Uh, Nick and Matt Jackson, the Young Bucks, against Yo and Show in 20. And Yo had a small, used a small package on Matt in 2234. Champions fail in the first defense, and Rapunky 3K become the 56 champions. So I'm not, I'm not usually the biggest Young Bucks person. I, you know, I like them, especially in New Japan, and I don't really like them at all in Ring of Honor. But this was like the best Young Bucks match in fucking forever like i went four and a half on this it was my favorite match of the entire weekend and you know granted i haven't seen nxt yet where people are very into that main event so i will get around to that but um yeah this was just amazing um like you know the it was great early on it kind of died down a little bit with the uh it kind of crashed to the halt with the when they were like chasing rocky up the up the ramp and then you know that little ramp dive thing which I think was where Matt Jackson like legit messed up his back. And Meltzer like, and Alvarez says it wasn't legit. It was a work. Really? Uh, yeah. No, oh I... my. Oh God. I got, I'm going to have to go higher. <laughs> no, no. Wow. I, no. And I, I had, I had thought it was a work, but I, but I always had that little seed of doubt, just uh, especially after that first match in, in Wrestle Kingdom where they did the same thing. Um, you know they they put over that that back spot so uh, Matt just just selling in such a such a unique way like he's just like he's actually injured and it really made me believe it and it so 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 he so he took that fucking bump on the apron and gave himself that well on purpose that's pretty amazing nice. like that's fucking just to get that over that's awesome even better um, but yeah Matt Jackson selling was incredible. Um, you know, I, I thought there was, I, I didn't think there was, I didn't think he was seriously injured. I thought he was exaggerating, but I thought he had some kind of like injury, mostly because of that well. And if he just really gave himself that well and the rest of it was selling, that's pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, so he, he like drops Yo on a powerbomb, looks like he can't stand. Um, you know, there's, there, I, I, I was going back and forth at this point because they also like, he was right back in the ring, but he kept being like, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get into it again. But then he just kept clutching on his back. And then at one point they do, they do that three K double team move on Nick, like on the outside into the apron. <laughs> and it was pretty amazing. And then, um, you know, at one point, yo puts Matt in a, in a Boston crab. And in hindsight, that actually like would have been an awesome finish because Absolutely. you know, obviously you had the worked back injury and, you know, losing to a Boston crab after all the times, they called Rapunky 3K Young Boys would have been really poetic, 
But um, but yeah, at that point, the Young Bucks were just became like total baby faces, like fighting to overcome the odds after Matt's you know injury, and the crowd was like completely with them, mm-hmm. like they were chanting for the Young Bucks, which almost never happens in Japan. No. Um, you know, and I even said at this point on Twitter, like I don't know how much of this is real and how much is selling at this point. So Matt deserves a lot of credit, and you know the well yeah. was disgusting. So like he just kept it going and going, and then um, you know. Finally, in the finish, you know Matt. Matt is trying to put this fucking sharpshooter in, even while still signing the back injury. And Yo just rolls him up an inside cradle, and that's too much for Matt because you know because the back, his back is too fucked up to kick out of this inside cradle, and that's it. Punky three K win the titles. See, so yeah, I went four and a half on that. It's the highest I've ever given a Bucks match in forever, and I'm, I'm tempted to go higher after the hearing the Matt thing was completely a work. But yeah, that was a. Uh, that was a pretty incredible match. And, you know, I, I just, they were, they wanted to prove, I guess, that they could do that, you know, versus the fucking shit they usually do in Ring of Honor. And, you know, I get it. It's, it was pretty great. So, congrats to the Young Bucks on a really, really good match here. Yeah. And the 3K, obviously. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I love the match. Um, I would slot it just like a half step below the, the Wrestle Kingdom one for me, uh, specifically. Um, just because I, I don't know, I, I love both of them. I, I liked, uh, I I'll always remember like kind of that double back selling in where both of them selling up their backs in the first match, whereas this with more of a traditional structure with, with it just Matt doing all the selling, but but his selling work in both of those matches was just off the charts, incredible. Um, yeah, no, I, it's a great match. Yeah, I, I slipped a disc about like a year and a half ago, so I was completely convinced the entire match that it was real, especially after I saw the welt. So oh, yeah. when I heard Meltzer and Alvarez were like, oh yeah, five minutes into it, we kind of realized that it was just the selling and it's what they did at New Year Dash or whatever, and I was just like, man, that's impressive. Like, I was really blown away. What I wasn't sure about, though, was like, why are they, you know, basically being sympathetic baby faces against Rapungi 3K? Like that kind of that kind of put me off kilter, especially, you know, well, I, I thought, don't know what's going to go on. I thought first of all yeah. it was to set up the to set up the angle at the end, and then also you know maybe they if they are going to be on Omega's side in the in the Bullet Club breakup, they they are going to be baby faces anyway. True. So I guess it makes sense. But yeah, we don't really know how that's going to go yet. But yeah, I don't um, know I mean, how it works for the division. That's that's yeah. my. The crowd did chant for Punky 3K later on in that match. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think it's that big a deal that they that they were putting over Young Bucks, too. Yeah, we're Punky 3K certainly weren't heels in this match, and, and both of them no. got a reaction. So I think uh, I think it's fine just in, in the structure of this match. It's just how it played out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, do you, so you enjoyed the match, too, as well, Aaron? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Rapungi 3K definitely brings out the best of the Young Bucks, and that should not be understated. Um, yeah. They doing that powerbomb spot with Rocky Romero, though. It, it's been, <laughs> it's, it doesn't work for me. It, it, it did seem very repetitive for how much time it took uh, to just kind of do the same spot over again. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, these two past Bucks matches this month are the best Young Bucks matches I've ever seen. So, and yeah. there's something to be said for, Rapungi's two days were all in that as well. Um, you know, they're they they already look together and established in one of the and one of the top working and kayfabe teams. You know, after you know being here for six months, so props to them. 
Yeah. Um, and then the main event. So the, this is the interesting one where I ask you guys if, if you, you know, either one of you watched Unswallowed or not. Um, so, so basically, like I was watching this Unspoiled, um, and the match to me, you know, just ten minutes in, it, it felt like a whole lot of nothing. Um, then, you know, Omega like. You know, at that point, Jay White does start bumping like a maniac trying to make something on the match where Omega did the V-trigger off the apron on him and they gave him that powerbomb across that row of chairs. Like, you know, Jay White's getting killed here. Omega does a J-driller after that. He's like, why the fuck is he doing a J-driller? At that point, it just feels like a long extended squash for Omega, a really long extended squash for Omega. Um, it almost took White a long time to to even get any offense at all and then he finally did like those snap saido suplexes even after the first one it was almost like he was still out um and you know still really couldn't fight back and they did a few more of them he brought the sleeper suplex like out of the mothballs which is interesting because you know one of the reasons why nobody did that move after kenta kobashi did it is because it's super fucking dangerous (laughs) and like you're basically there's no way to take that move other than drop them right on the neck so if they're gonna let him keep doing that, I don't know about that decision. Um, but yeah, he he brought that move back. Um, it's a sick move. He finally got some offense. Then Jay White hits the, the Blade Runner. You know, Kenny kicks out, and again, me not knowing who who's gonna win this, I should have thought of it there because. But at the time, I'm just like, well, he's like, oh sure, Kenny kick out of his finisher too. <laughs> he was just trying to like it feels like you're trying to bury the kid at this point. And then he gets out of the he gets out of the one winged angel. He hits a second blade runner and he wins. So you know it just it didn't feel like it was building to the winner at all. So if both both of you knew that he was that that Jay White was winning. Was that like a very different experience than the one I had just watching this, like being perplexed at how much of the match Omega was taking? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I never I never really thought to like categorize it as a squash until I until I heard that from that word from people who had set, who had seen it um their first time through um but in, in with hindsight it does absolutely make sense that you know omega was getting so much of that match um it, it kind of tracks um back with uh in storyline terms with white's matches tanahashi and that just you know as an out and out um wrestler you know he's not on the top guy level yet that's that's the story they're trying to tell but he's sneaky conniving he's a real heel you know he's like what a top heel is going to be um so i'm i'm happy with the story they're telling i thought the match was good um it was good um it was wasn't as good as the bucks match and it wasn't as good as um uh suzuki and tanahashi which was my non-nxt match of the weekend um uh i want to give big props I I, wanna... I only I only went like three and a quarter on it. I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't maybe because of how it felt with the whole. I want to go back and watch it now without well like with knowing who won, but like watching it live, it just felt like you know it just felt like too much of a squash for Omega for me to get into it. Uh, I do want to give shout outs to Omega for taking that uh, first Blade Runner uh, basically on the top of his head. Um, he yeah. goes out of his way to sell moves in just the most damaging to himself manner possible between <laughs> between that and the way that he was selling the code breakers at, at wrestle kingdom at wrestle kingdom like uh, he was the just, first person to make that code breaker look like it fucking hurt i know yeah and he made, like the sister abigail look like devastating like a killer move so you know kenny omega is amazing um and kenny omega was the 
probably the harder worker in this match, the more innovative worker in this match. You know, he got most of the match. So, but I think Jake can hang in there. Uh, he's 25 years old. So, you know, he's going to be in, in his prime with this company in 10 years from now. Um, so there's a long way to go for him. And I'm optimistic. I, I like the character more than most people do. I, I love uh, the character. So yeah, in co- good company here. I mean, I think, again, if you watch his all the post-match stuff and all the YouTube stuff, it works even better. Like he just, he's just such Absolutely. a fucking asshole, but he doesn't actually do anything to, to let anyone call him out on it. Basically. Like he's he, like, everybody in chaos knows he's a dickhead, but he's not doing any, he's that one guy who came to your party who you could just tell is a fucking piece of shit. But he hasn't done anything like that. But he doesn't do anything yeah. that to really so you can't really throw him out because he's somebody's friend, <laughs> but you just fucking know. Like you look at him and you know that he's up to no good, but you can't fucking prove it yet. Yeah, that's, like, that's the way. That guy in that party literally would have a leather jacket and like a knife necklace. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, he literally was. So yeah, I I I really like Jay White, and my th- whole thing is I, I don't know why. I, I hear, but I think I think he's like watched a lot of Kawada, and that he like does that thing where he looks like he's been knocked for a loop, and then you see him kind of like wake up, and when he's alert, that's when he starts doing his comeback. Uh, he does little things like that that I really like. He needs to work on his striking though. He just has that European uppercut because those chops sucked. Um, yeah. But I, I I really enjoyed this match. It, it was at one point there was like complete silence from the crowd and. Yeah, it was Omega beating him up for a long time, but there was that one kind of shift where it looked like that, like I, I remember Jay White just started laughing and it was like almost like that he was just absorbing a beating. And I mean, that kind of is almost a, I don't know, a heel version of a Hulk up kind of thing where it's, you know, he's getting his ass kicked, but he's, I don't know, he's he's going to make a comeback out of it. But I, I enjoyed it and I, I enjoy, I think that Omega was the right, opponent for jay white whereas tanahashi really wasn't as so much it was just tanahashi's great and uh i i love the blade runner i think he does it so well so i I liked it absolutely i think jay white's in ring is uh most interesting when he has those little uh those little character beats where he really looks like this deranged serial killer um Um, so like, like you were saying earlier, uh, when, when he's getting, when he's getting beat up and just like at the lowest point, at his lowest point in the match, and he's just laughing, laughing, laughing off. And between that and the little, um, that one kick out where he like convulses and it's kind of off camera and it just looks so strange and uh, unnatural. It's like, it's, he's doing something interesting there. And when he learns uh, to incorporate that more and more into his already already pretty solid work, um, he's gonna he's gonna be something. I, I really I really have faith in him. Uh, he's not quite there yet, uh, but I, I have faith. They they have a long time with him. I totally agree, and that's where I, where I was kind of going with it too. I think he's already got the character stuff down. I think he's already like a shockingly good promo, and even in this character, which I thought would take him a lot longer. Um, and you know he really he knows what his character is and he does a really good job with it. Um, I just don't think he's made it work for him in ring yet, and I think that's going to be a process for him. You know, and again, I thought he was better here than he was at the dome, so I think he's already making progress there. But I think he's still trying to figure out, you know, how he's going to portray this character in the ring. You know, that's going to be that's going to be tough, but I don't know if it's as tough as the opposite problem. 
Like there's there's a lot of again we're, we're talking about with Cody. There's a lot of good in ring wrestlers nowadays, especially in New Japan, and you do have to have some level of quality to be a certain level over in New Japan. But I mean, I don't know if um, it's harder. To, it might be harder to, to to pull off the character stuff. So maybe it's more important that he already got that out of the way, and you know the in ring will come. But That's I don't know. Point. Maybe it never. Maybe it never does come. Maybe he just never hits that level. But I, I'm I have confidence in him. I have confidence. He's young, and I don't think I don't think the in ring is bad. Um, I think the in ring is uh, at you know uh, the kind of good to very good level. But we just expect so much out of a out of a New Japan main eventer these days, and and he's not quite um, at their level yet. But he's not going to go out there and have a stinker either. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's not a problem either that he's not on their level because he is a guy that just came back from excursion. So really, if you think of it from a sports perspective, maybe he shouldn't be schooling the top guys in the company and maybe he should be getting his ass kicked a lot. So I'm fine Absolutely. with that. And it also is about kind of seeing those elements or that special moments that he's able to pull off. And the fact that after Kenny Omega was audibly saying that he's not on his level, he ends up finding a way to get on his level and beating him. But yeah, I could, you know, I'm going to go back and watch it. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it'll click at a higher level for me, but you know, um, there's a shot, there's a camera shot in the post match. Um, it's, and it's pretty much the last time you see switchblade. Um, but he's, he's kind of like walking off camera in the corner of the shot in the top left corner of the shot, holding up the belt, just kind of walking into the crowd. And then the right corner of the shot is just Cody and Omega and the bullet club on the ring arguing and just that kind of like just juxtaposition like he's he's this conniving intelligent heel he found omega at like this moment of weakness got in his head and did his finisher like you know kind of like flash for a pinfall even though omega the story of the match told us obviously outclasses jay white that's how jay white's winning and and jay white said afterwards that he you know he thought i mean he said before the match he, you know he said i'll take the belt from omega and then the bullet club's gonna crumble and boy did it ever the second, um, so after, after, what's that? The second that Omega calls Jay White out to like join the Bullet Club, you kind of think like the Jay White character's character, his brain is like thinking, "Oh, this guy's fucking crazy. I can fuck with him even more and steal his title." <laughs> yeah, like he's like, "Why would you want me in your fucking unit?" Now he's probably asking Okada the same thing. Oh, of course. It's like it's just like, "Why would you want me in your unit?" But yeah, so so Jay White wins the title. Um, and at that oh, one, point, one more thing, there was a uh, right when uh, right when Jay White won the title, it cut to Okada and he looked shocked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like bewildered. He was just like, oh, my God, I got this guy in the team. Everyone said this is a bad idea. And he just title. Yeah. Uh, like Okada had this look like, OK, <laughs> like, it was like I did not think you were going to win that. But sure. I, I have heard um, and I forget my source on this. Uh, but on some podcasts that I was listening to over the, over the weekend, that um, that was a, that may have been a shoot. Okay, they don't give the finishes out to wrestlers generally. Oh and, wow, uh, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, like why? Why <laughs> Okada like had no reason to think that Jay White was going to win this match as much as <laughs> as much as any of us did. So yeah. yeah. But um, but yeah. So the so after the match, um, so Hangman Page comes in the ring. Okay. And it turns out this is why you got the pinfall on both shows because again that's why they don't really do any falls for without a reason. Um, and he comes out on both shows, and you know he comes out at the end here and like you know takes the belt from Jay and tries to you know put himself forward as the next challenger. Pretty common New Japan trope, 
you know, I'm going to be your next challenger now. And Kenny Omega kind of rips the belt out of his hands and then hands it to, you know, hands it to Jay White himself. And that, that's the point where Jay White leaves. But then, you know, Cody comes in. He really takes issue with that because, you know, as he him, Cody himself would say later, that's kind of a New Japan tradition to have, you know, the next challenger. He kept telling Paige, it was your moment, you know, not Kenny's. Kenny lost. And it was kind of like a, a blowing over of the of all the, you know, despite Cody repeatedly saying that God bless Kenny Omega, that these two have had a lot of problems. So, you know, it was like a blowing over of that. And then the, or blowing up of that, I should say. And then the Young Bucks come out, and uh, Marty Scroll's already out there for some reason. The Young Bucks come, you know, behind Kenny, including Matt. You know, Nick had been out there already with him, but Matt, you know, with his back injury. And Kenny, I guess, just turns around and in a huff, just throws Matt Jackson down. And at that point, everybody's like, it's like, wow, he just... He hit. He hit his. He hit one of his best friends, basically. And you know, Matt sells the back during. Yeah. It's, it's so important, like how hard Matt sells that bad back during that segment after getting pushed down. Yeah, yeah. Matt is like Matt. Just looks like you know really hurt by this on, on multiple levels, and then Matt and Nick are just like fuck this, we're leaving. Um, everybody else kind of kind of starts to leave too, but then Cody, you know, it, you know, they, he basically tells him, you know, oh, we got to put this behind us or whatever. We got to calm down. And then he opens the ropes for Kenny. But of course, because he's a heel, he kicks the rope right into Kenny's dick. The back of the ring, <laughs> Cody gives him crossroads. And Cody does a great job with this whole, like, just looking just, like, so, like, crazed. And, like, you know, I don't I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it, basically. Like, basically making it clear that this is not, like, a plan or anything. It's just something he just had to do, basically. And, you know, at that point, he, like, Hangman and Scroll are, like, you know, looking at him like, what the fuck? And, you know, he tells Hangman, hold him up. You know, he, he ruined your moment, hold him up. And Hangman finally does, like, kind of reluctantly. And that's when Kota Ibushi runs down. <laughs> clears house. The crowd goes absolutely apeshit, just like they did when uh, Kenny saved Kota at Hurricane Hall. Uh, you know, K- K- Kota cleans house. And, you know, at that point, the, the Bullet Club scurries off. And there's a long, like, you know, Kota gives him a handshake, offers a handshake. Kenny won't take it. A long awkward moment, and then they had the big hug, you know. And they've stripped the streamers instead of, <laughs> instead of for instead of for Jay White's title win. Like, you know, like normally, we get the cannon of streamers going off the moment they hug. It's like this <laughs> hug is so great, we have to have streamers for it. I remember I showed my girlfriend this who's not a wrestling fan, and she was just like, Wow, this is like magnificently gay. Oh, and yeah, yeah it, it really is. But yeah, I mean, like, just streamers firing off of this. This moment of affection. It was really something. Um, but yeah, it was a great ending, and now we have no idea what's going on. And you know, is is the bullet club done? Is Kenny done with the bullet club? Or is everything gonna blow over? I mean, at the very least, it seems like we're getting Kenny and Coda. Or not Kenny and Coda, I mean Kenny and Cody. And that's that's apparently the rumored match for WrestleMania weekend, which I think is actually like a pretty smart place to do that because you know, I think American fans it's a match are, for America. Yeah, Western fans are going to care more about that even than Japanese fans will. But yeah, uh, what do you what do you guys think of the post match angle? I just I just want to say one thing real quick is is uh, they did such a great job um, at the start teasing that it was going to be something as uh, anticlimactic as Hangman Page and Jay White and uh, really ratcheting <laughs> it up from there and there and there. Yeah, uh, into just like insane levels. That's a great and the, point because like, and the funniest like, thing okay, is okay. at the end of the day we're still getting Hangman Page and Jay White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd probably get to see that live. You really? Yeah. That's probably a match. 
It's probably a match for fucking Strong Style involved. Yeah, but and I bet it'll be over. I don't know. Page 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 surprised me sometimes. So who knows? I think but. he's. I think Page is fine. He's yeah. just fine. Um, We're gonna have Rope 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 Man versus the Knife Pervert. Let's go. Yeah, fun little undercard title match. Um, yeah, no, um, it's incredible. It's one of the gayest things I've ever seen in my life in a pro wrestling <laughs> ring. Um, I gay. was emotional about it. Um, it was great. <laughs> I loved it. I loved every little bit of it. I loved the fact that there was none of the Samoans or the Tongans. Uh, there was pretty much, it was specifically the elite guys that are always on the YouTube thing. And it was just, there was just so many nice little elements to it. And it, like you guys mentioned about how it, you know, kind of builds up and builds up after that. And, you know, it's it it's the logical progression, and I don't know if you guys watched uh, the Being Elite episode that came out today. But, yeah, so uh, we, were, we were talking about that before. I think before you joined the call. Um, but yeah, we both mm-hmm. we did be, both see it, and if you you can go ahead and describe it if you want to. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The the very end of it is just like Omega walking through a hallway, and he stops at a door, and he opens a door, and it turns out that Kota Ibushi's standing with them, and it's the Young Bucks in there, and they all go into the room together with this nice pretty music playing and it's just for a moment of just this it's these nice little twists to what could have just been a a simple oh cody's now the the leader kind of thing like there was also it put into my mind that i think that the young bucks have always been there when the leader has switched and this Mm -hmm. time they left before this happened which is where i feel like that it can't be considered as like cody taking over because it was just like you said cody being cody yeah, and I, I'm not so I, 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 like that whole be, be the elite episode was really cool because you know it starts out with them. You know, I I, don't, I normally don't watch the show, but I kind of I wanted to see what the fuck was going to happen on this episode after that. All those angles, so you know, it starts out with them like in a it was like Cody, the Young Bucks, uh, Marty, and Paige, like just quite like silently. It's like the old trope of like the the husband and wife who hate each other having the silent dinner. Like that was them. <laughs> yeah, all for five so of them. Long. Yeah, just having this silent, this strange silent dinner in a hotel room of like takeout food, and then you know after that it kind of they go like on order. You know, there's this weird storyline with like Kenny Omega avoiding the Young Bucks at the airport, and then it turns out that Kenny, you know, basically tells them like, you know, I'm just they're fi- they finally corner him at the arena and like what what's been bothering you? And Kenny's like, well, you know, I have to be honest, it's Cody, and you know he wants my spot, and the Young Bucks didn't really want to hear it. And then they cut to after the night two thing, you know, and then at that point, you know, it it sort of looks like the Bucks are on Cody's side because they are hanging out with him still, but they don't really say anything to indicate they're definitely on Cody's side. So when you get to that ending, you know, where, you know, Kenny's walking down this hallway, it's like, do either one of you see the movie Mother, by the way? It's the only (laughs) thing I can think of because the, the camera was in such a tight focus on Kenny's face. It's like I was waiting for like Armageddon to start. (laughs) <laughs> just it was like right on his face like it was just like that camera was all up in jennifer lawrence's face in that movie but yeah so like he he ends up at the door you know the hotel door like you, like aaron was saying he knocks on the door we don't see who answers it but then cody just walks into the frame and just stands there next to kenny looking like only koda abushi could look basically like it is he's like incredibly attractive like casual wear <laughs> and they're, standing in the st- they're, they're standing there, and the camera turns around. You can see the young buck standing there, and it's like, well, Kenny has to bring his new slash old boyfriend home to meet the parents, basically. 
or home to meet the meet his friends and like i don't know it's very interesting little segment and it leaves you with a lot of questions like you know which is which is good it's like are are kenny coda and the bucks the new elite now are they gonna you know are the young bucks on kenny and coda's side you know or are they still what they just hearing the map but they're still gonna slap with cody you know what does this mean for all in which is very much being pitched as cody and the bucks Oh yeah. So, you know, a lot of questions. I, I, I just all I hope is that I hope it doesn't because I can see a lot of a lot of ways this goes, but I could all I could definitely see it ending up with, you know, Kenny just turns on Coda and they go back to status quo, which I hope is not the case. Oh gosh. No. I, mean, I know they I know they want to do that match at some point, and you know, there's ways to get to that match without Kenny turns on Coda back to Bullet Club status quo. I hope that's not where this goes, but I could definitely see it. I hadn't thought of that. I wouldn't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not uh, saying it would be immediate. I think they would at least wait no. until after the Kenny, the Kenny Cody uh, Mania match, but I could definitely see that happening. So I hope, you know, we'll see where it goes, I guess. No, no, but there, there are so many different ways they can go with the shakeup. It's, it's really fascinating. And the fact that we don't, you know, know exactly at this time, it's also super interesting. And, I, and again, as we've alluded to earlier, what's, where are the Tongans? Where are they, they going to end up? That's a whole other third angle to all this thing. It's... Yeah, and Tamatong is very anti, seems very anti Kenny to me. So it's uh, very yeah. interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they're starting to start their own little just Tongan faction. You know, Fale has got that a uh, Silver Lion clothing company. He was wearing the shirts both nights, I believe, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. instead of any Bullet Club gear. So that was a uh, that was also your little clue. Something's going yeah, on. Yeah, that them. makes sense. All right. So overall, though, I'd say the, definitely the stronger of the two shows, even though I didn't like the main event nearly as much. But, you know, some of the undercard stuff, was I think, was a little better, especially like, you know, the, I thought the Kitamura match was better and then the some of the other undercard stuff was better. And then, you know, semi-main event was obviously fantastic here. And so overall, I thought it was the better show. Uh, I'd agree. Uh, yeah, this has more, at least more stuff worth going out of your way to see. I think it's worth seeing those last two matches. Um, and obviously the, the intro angle. Um, yeah. Uh, undercards were both fine between the two. So I still think uh, Tanahashi and Suzuki was uh, better than any match in the show. But as a show, maybe give this one the edge. That makes sense. Yeah, I pretty much agree with the assessment that, you know, the main event was better in night one. But uh, night two, I guess had a lot more going with it in terms of the storylines, which makes sense when it's a progression. It's the second show. So yeah, it was an an overall an enjoyable weekend of new Japan though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two, two good. I'd say two, you know, not, not the greatest two shows, but better than I expected going in. Cause I said the undercard of night two was a little better than I expected it to be. Night one was about as boring as I expected it to be, honestly, but. um, And then one of the best angles in the history of the promotion. So yeah. Fantastic angle at the end of the night too, yeah. And that leaves you a lot of different things, and you know, none of which we're going to get paid off on right away, by the way, because the mm-hmm. the Bullet Club was like Kenny and Cody and all that, and the Bucks and all that, and Cody. They were always going to be off the the rest of these New Beginning shows and um, the the New Beginning on Osaka show. So it looks like the next time we might get any answers here is the Honor Rising shows at the end of February. So because you would expect all the you know Cody and the Bucks and Kenny to all be on that, so. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we should talk about the Royal Rumble since we went pretty far, pretty long just on New Japan. Um, Royal Rumble was a good show. I liked it quite a bit. Um, 
you know, obviously it still had its fair share of problems as any, you know, modern WWE show will have, but especially compared to the shit we got last year, I thought it was a, (laughs) compared to last, I mean, I said this before the year started, like WWE, they can have like a mediocre year this year and it's going to look fantastic compared to the fucking shit they turned out in 2017. But this was not mediocre. This was actively good. It was good. Um, lot, a lot, uh, probably, probably a two match show. Uh, I, 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 I think yeah, the rest, the two rumbles, yeah. the, the two rumbles, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it held for those are an hour each, so basically, yeah. So yeah, but um, certainly, uh, I, I don't feel like anything else really delivered. Um, but for what you can expect from modern WWE. Um, I think that the rumbles were were what I wanted to see when I when I tuned in was more or less what I got in those two rumbles. So I'm happy. Yeah, like uh, it's been a while since we've had a good rumble. If you think about it, so having two rumbles that are good in one night is, Absolutely. you know, it actually almost makes up for probably five six years of bad rumbles. So let's talk about the show and starting with the. I mean, I didn't see in the pre-show matches. Did you guys? <sighs> nope. Yeah, who the fuck watches WWE pre-shows? So much wrestling this weekend. <laughs> no, even it. Look, like, it's like, going to be the only show on the entire weekend. I still want to watch the fucking pre-show because who did this shit? <laughs> um, but yeah, the the first match was they got that two out of two on one bullshit out of the way with the the handicap match. Um, this, this look, this ended up being better than I expected. Uh, it didn't it didn't overstay its welcome. That helped. It only went about sixteen minutes. Um, AJB Owens and Zane. Um, you know, it was it was kind of slow going in the start, but by by the time it was over, it felt like as good as this type of match could possibly be. You know, never should have been booked in the first place. It's a very yeah. stupid idea to do a handicap match for for your for your top title. But I thought for what it was, they did they did the best job they could have. Yeah. Um Zane and Owens look like complete geeks and idiots for losing. Um, and I hate and I hate it. And I hate that this match has been booked this way. But um, definitely they gave us um, some good time. You know, probably seven, eight minutes of uh, Sami Zayn and AJ Styles in a ring working a match. And they're two of the best in the world in ring. So it was, of course, great for that stretch. Um, everything else was dumb. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I will never get over it as a... I don't know, a wrestling fan or whatever, that I feel that an established tag team or any sort of like tag team should never lose to a single wrestler. But the WWE has done it several times now. They had Benoit beat La Resistance for the tag titles alone. (laughs) I remember that, actually. And if I recall, there was a John Cena versus Miz and Riley like match that they did before, which I think was for the title or something that was also a complete... I think that was right after the WrestleMania two or something like it was, yeah, they've done it before, but yeah, I, I was the, most of the time I just sat there, you know, I, I was just like, this is some good wrestling, but the situation around it is awful. And then the finish, you know, basically AJ styles beats both guys, but then he also wins by the illegal man, which just made it even worse. And fine with it. I guess I guess they were supposed to like it was supposed to make you think oh well you know Owens and Zane kind of got screwed so maybe they're not total losers and I I had people in my mentions like telling me that and it was like well I'm sorry just because they just because he beat the illegal man doesn't mean they don't look like losers they should have beat him they should just beat him it's two on one yeah (laughs) I mean I I think it's even like the worst scenario because they look like yeah uh, 
Owens and Zane look awful and they look like complete idiots and you can't even get the baby face over. You didn't even get the baby face over because you didn't win clean. So yeah. no, I, I, I hated the finish. Yeah, I agree with that. But so that got, it's pretty typical WWE where the in-ring work is fine to even good to even very good in stretches, but the booking is fucking stupid. So even even on a show we all liked, we have to say, you know, the booking is pretty dumb here. Um, after that, the Usos had a really awesome promo. You know, the Usos, they were, they were one of the very few highlights of this company last year, just the tag division in general, but especially the Usos in specific. And, you know, they gave a great promo. You know, they had a, it was a two on three handicap or two, sorry, two out of three falls handicap match for the SmackDown tag titles with uh, Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin. Uh, Philly wasn't into this at all, but this is one of the times where I really disagree with the live crowd because I thought the fact was really good. Um, you know, it, it was boring a little bit in the middle, but like, you know, at some point they were just like killing each other, you know, killing themselves to have a good match here with the bumping they were doing. And the crowd still wasn't into it at all. It's just like, well, you know, they're clearly trying guys. Like, I don't know what you want here, but um, I don't know. The leg, the leg work stuff was cool too. Um, the only, the only problem maybe might be the finish of the second fall kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I like that it came out of nowhere. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it worked out okay, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know why this is two out of three falls and it's only going to get 14 minutes <laughs> to begin with. But I thought it was I thought it was a good match. Yeah, it was... Um, I I really like the finish of this match. I, I like, you know, going... Putting someone over two falls and in a two out of three falls match. Um, obviously, it's not what you're expecting. It also meant that the match kind of... Um, that the crowd wasn't, wasn't super into and that everyone... I would say wasn't jazzed for, even though even though they were getting some good work in there. Um, made sure it didn't overstay its welcome, um, which I liked. I you know as soon as I thought that, yeah, as soon as I thought it was time to end, then it was time to start the ending. Then they just kind of finished the ending. So I'm like, oh, cool, we can move on. Um, yeah, it was fine. I thought the Usos cut a good promo at the start of it. Uh, I think that they've been really developing well as promo guys, so I, I was good with that. Match itself was, I guess it was technically sound, but it wasn't really catching my attention. I was probably as bored as the fans were in the audience, so I don't know. I think I had, I think I watched too much wrestling this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they can find something for Gable. Um, I don't I don't think a tag team with Sheldon Benjamin is it, but, but they really have something there, uh, I think, and I hope they give them a chance and they might not ever because it's the WWE. Yeah. Uh, after that, we had the men's rumble, which was, you know, that it was confirmed a little while before this, that the women's rumble was going to go on last, which I thought was a really, you know, a really cur- courageous decision by a usually un- not courageous company. But the real <laughs> reason why I went on last to come out would end up being revealed soon enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the men's rumble, 30 man Royal Rumble match for the world title shot WrestleMania. Um, you know, I thought this was a very good rumble, the, probably the best one since at least, I don't know, like 2008 or something. Like I'm trying to think of the last one I liked this much. It, it, it's been a long time. I mean, the last Straight Edge have Society been, rumble, which was, was just throwing uh, guys out and then cutting promos in the ring. I did. I did enjoy that. That's, that's probably the last rumble that I can think of as well. That was that, the, that as... one that, the one that was like 40 man was okay. Cause I remember that had like the core Nexus thing, which kind of interesting. This is better than that. Yeah. This was better than that. Probably. But yeah, but like the last two years have been garbage. So to actually get like a, a very good rumble was really stunning. Um, but yeah, let me, I'm trying to go through the entrance here and see if there's anything interesting. Uh, Baron Corbin got eliminated very quickly. 
Like, you know, only a minute and six seconds by Finn Balor. It's really weird because, you know, he he basically, he comes in, he gets eliminated in a minute, but then he lays out everybody. So it felt like very, very typical WWE booking where it's like, you know, he's going to, he he'll he'll get, he'll get eliminated so you know very quickly. She's like, okay, maybe it's a burial, but then he lays everybody out. So it's like, okay, so what the fuck was the point of anything really? But in hindsight, I don't think it really said anything about Baron Corbin because then two two entrants later is Elias. Elias. So it, I think it just turned out to be a setup for Elias to you know get to play his guitar. Um, but yeah, Elias was awesome. You know, he was the, the only highlight. The only highlight of Raw 25, honestly, really, other than like the Stone Cold thing, and he he was fucking awesome here too. He was um, over. He was super over. Elias was I mean, over. Like um, yeah. Rusev, we should talk about Rusev being first in is incredibly over. Um, yeah. yeah. As, as someone who doesn't watch WWE programming regularly and watches even less SmackDown, um, I, you know, I, I had heard, oh, Rusev's doing a fun comedy gimmick now. That's fun, but the crowd is so into it, and I'm into it. I love Rusev. Yeah, so, I mean, Rusev, I said it at the time, he might be the most underutilized, underutilized guy in WWE history. And think about the ground that covers. Yeah. But, like, just, like, he's so fucking good at everything. Like, he's mm-hmm. a great wrestler. He's got incredible charisma. And, he just, and they never push him at the, other than other than that first run, you know, mm-hmm. when he wasn't even, like, as good as he is now, a, a lot of stuff. They've never, it seems like they're never going to push him at that level again. It's just like, I don't, what else can the fucking guy do? Like everything he does, he gets really over. They gave him that he came with that stupid handsome Rusev thing last year, and that was like super over for like two weeks, and they just dropped it. And I mean, think like, about it, he has a gimmick about like shouting about a calendar with fucking Aiden English, and he's <laughs> Aiden, he got Aiden English over. And, yep. uh, I mean, I, like literally, it's like what else can this man do? And it, it goes to tell you all that brass ring bullshit is exactly that. It's fucking bullshit because if someone does grab it. They're just going to ignore it anyway. So. They're currently selling a calendar, a Rusev calendar, where every single day is Rusev Day on it. It yeah, literally says every day of the calendar. Oh, so great. I love Rusev. <sighs> but yeah, you know, he was in here for 30 minutes before he got dumped by the awesome combination of Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy, which <laughs> the, crowd, the crowd was very, very unhappy about. Um, but yeah, so I'm going through the entrance here. Obviously, uh, CN Almas was very over when he came in. Uh, not that surprising, I guess, that Alt Right Randy had to be the one to eliminate him. Um, and shout out to Bruiser Brady on Twitter, who tweeted like something. He tweeted something like, um, "Whoever whoever tosses out Almas is going to be is going to be a huge racist." And then Orton <laughs> threw him out and just like <laughs> quote tweet himself, like laugh my ass off. And it's like, yeah, yeah, he called that one. Um, the big surprises were obviously um, the Hurricane. Which good to see you, buddy. I guess he came in for he was there for forty five seconds for Cena tossed him out, and then Rey Mysterio, which actually was a big surprise. Um, I I hope Rey Mysterio is sticking around because he looked great. Uh, yeah, I mean I'm not going to watch WWE programming anymore. <laughs> like this this uh, I mean I guess that's a spoiler to someone someone for the show is that I had fun, but I don't think I'm going to watch any more WWE. Than I, I say. Um, I usually do. I usually do watch a little bit of pay per views at least. I don't. I don't. I don't always watch full shows like I did here. But maybe some pay per views. But I, I especially especially after Raw twenty five, I don't think they've lured me back into watching Raw anytime soon. Oh yeah, like I'm, <laughs> Raw Raw is War. Well, that'll they, they'll be lucky if I watch that program ever again. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So 
no, Mysterio looked great. Um, yeah, um, they also uh, brought out Adam Cole to get a an entrance pop, which why not get an entrance pop? That's, that's the only thing he's good at anyway. So yeah, <laughs> is that in a yeah? <laughs> he was selling his injuries, so it was. It yeah, was like, yeah, he was, he, he was selling. He was selling really well. Um, he, he did have a pretty good match the last night. Uh, Adam Cole is pretty good working in like a crazy weapons brawl. Um, that's about it. Yeah. Uh, he's real CZW guy. That Adam yeah. Cole. <laughs> um, I, I will say too. I was the, the thing that annoyed me during this match was um, the, the the thing where Elias laying on Cena ended up being on Raw twenty five, which is like the only. One of the again, one of the very few things about Raw twenty five just ended up being a setup for Cena to come out and just like dump him like a bag of shit. Oh, I'm like, fine. Elias is a fucking chopper. Oh, but like it was nothing though. Like, come on, <laughs> it's John Cena and Elias is Elias. Elias oh. is a geek. He's always going to be a geek. He's just why can't be a really we fun geek? Why can't why can't I believe? <laughs> Car doesn't want me to believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, then Cena. After that, though, I, I just kind of want Cena to win. But you know, it's fine. Nakamura won. Um, He's yeah. he's a good dude. It's the most logical call. I, I mean, I'm amazed they did it. Honestly, I, I, even up to the end. Okay, when oh, it was yeah. Roman and Nakamura left, I thought not, I thought Reigns was running. I'm like, I thought they were just gonna they were just gonna do it. Like, I know I should have thought Nakamura, but because I, you know, they weren't gonna piss off Philly and, and again and know, they have the elimination they have elimination chamber match. But I really just had this feeling that that it was gonna be. You know, there's going to be Roman Reigns because I can you know not what? have that feeling. You know, that's 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 something I can say to the credit of the show is that when I started watching, I thought the most fun I could possibly have is if uh, is if Roman Reigns won and the crowd turned on it, and I got to see the crowd turn in the show. I was really excited for that. But you know what? They put on a good wrestling show, and I had fun. So yeah, good, good for them. I was and... convinced that Reigns was winning because the match was like the third match on the card, so I expected that it was. That would infuriate everyone, and then they put them in the women's Royal Rumble to try to like cool them down or to have a happy ending kind of thing. But yeah, see, I I, I sort of thought of that too, but now looking back in hindsight, no. I realized that if they if they put Roman over there, that the the crowd would have been so angry they that they would not. Have, it, yeah, yeah, you could you like if it was on last, they had a better chance of Roman winning because it doesn't matter at that point. But like here, you had, you had to do two more hours. So you couldn't do two, they just couldn't do two more hours with Roman. You know, <laughs> and I, I, like the crowd started throwing garbage in the ring, probably. I agree, and and that and that's why I thought, um, why why I thought during the match that that it was going to be Nakamura, or at least it wasn't going to be Reigns, and it was most likely to be Nakamura because if they're going to put this on second, they there's no way they could kill the crowd. But they totally could. They're WWE. They could ruin anything at any time. And can we say by the way the the number thirty entry being Dolph Ziggler? You know, he he makes that big deal of walking out as U.S. champion. And then it, they they play that weird fucking sound, you know the uh, sound or whatever, and then play his music. That was hilarious, you know. Like that, you obviously think number three is gonna be some big deal, and it's fucking Dolph Ziggler. And then, you know, with a with a record scratch sound effect, and then he's and then to like complete the comedy, he's in for two minutes and literally two minutes and one second, and he gets dumped, and that's it. Like I thought that was fucking awesome. So some, sometimes WWE's troll shit. Actually, it's funny. And I, I thought it was hilarious that this fucking dipshit was 30th, came in with a record scratch sound effect, and got eliminated in two minutes. Like, that was, that was actually, <laughs> actually kind of awesome. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, the, the, so the, the, at one point, there was this cool little, like, generational showdown at the end. Like, here, this is what was missing, honestly. 
like they there had not been like a a real like extended after number 30 came in like end of a rumble in a long time mm-hmm. and that and that's i think one of the reasons why this rumble was actually good and you had the, this great three-on-three stare down where you had like cena orton and mysterio on one side representing like the old guard and then nakamura reigns and balor on the other side representing like the new guard and it was kind of a cool little like generational stare down it was like you know, again, it felt like something that that like Pat Patterson would book, you know, for yeah. Rumble. Yeah, and it felt like something that it's felt like the kind of thing they totally lacked in like the last ten years or so. Yeah, and the uh, the the I noticed the same thing, but with like a different combination of people. Uh, which was the last four, you kind of had this pair off of Finn and Nakamura as like the New Japan guys against Cena and Reigns as the WWE guys kind of teaming up. That that's the real confrontation that I noticed. And again, they're they're trying to. Yeah, they just pl- play on I mean, those it, fault it, lines, be something interesting. Yeah, it felt real. I mean, like, that's all it came down. It felt like... It, it felt like WWE, like, doing a commentary on, like, its own booking. Like, which which philosophy is going to win out, you know? It was, like, real... It, it really kind of kind of emphasized, like... It's kind of like them patting, patting themselves on their back for being so, quote-unquote, daring as to put Nakamura over. But yeah. honestly, that is pretty <laughs> yeah. daring for them. So, yeah. yeah I, I should give them some credit, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. It just felt like it was actually, again, it felt like the kind of thing they they might do in, like, you know, 2006 or something. I don't know. It's just, like, not that that was, like, some kind of golden era of WWE, but, like, it just felt like the yeah. kind of thing they would do do back when they knew how to book a wrestling promotion. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, and so either... made the point about uh, Pat Patterson, and that's absolutely true, that, like, Pat Patterson tried to book, like, try to book like eliminations that actually would turn into feuds. And since he's basically not been doing the rumble, they, they basically just throw guys in there to punch each other until they have to get eliminated working up to the end. But this was actually something where it felt like that there was a process and the process completed with Nakamura. So, yeah. So I, I agree. With you. I agree with both of you. I think it was a very good rumble match. And, you know, I thought they, you know, they earned, they, they had a good, they had a very good rumble finally. And, um, can't really say much else about it, I guess. And, and the right guy won for sure. And Nakamura, you know, yeah. obviously he did nothing for a year and he's still really over. So God bless him. <laughs> and I, it was really funny with Jerry Lawler, like towards the end. So Jerry Lawler was there on commentary, not a regular guy. And he, he said something like, um, you know, not, I, I forgot Nakamura was in or something. And Michael Cole immediately had to cover for him and was like, Nakamura's been very impressive. Because like even Waller <laughs> noticed that Nakamura does nothing in these some of these matches for long stretches of these matches, and Michael Cole, I guess, being you know maybe Vince yelling his ear set, you know because he's winning the fucking thing, he had to be like, no, he's been very impressive. Yeah. I, I thought that was funny. And the Jerry Lawler's other funny line of note was when he was talking about how Cena doesn't need to you know doesn't need to be in this match because he's so famous. And one of his thing was one of his reasons why Cena's famous is he's the elephant in the commercials, which. <laughs> Basically, playing playing a playing a CGI elephant in commercials for, I don't know what it is, peanuts or something. I think pistachios, those pistachios, and like playing a, a fucking CGI elephant in a commercial about pistachios is more prestigious than a WrestleMania title match. And you know what, Jerry, I agree. <laughs> but Jerry Lawler is so bad. I mean, he's, he's really so he's really terrible, but he, he's at least funny terrible. Yeah, like, yeah, he's a, the more inter kind of terrible than they usually. Where it's have like, been, like the terrible, the, the normal terrible of like fucking um, what's his name? The, the the two idiots who were yelling at each other all night long. Um, oh god, I, I I'm terrible at W announcer names. Um, they're all interchangeable. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but like two of them are really like screaming at each other the entire fucking night. I think it was Byron Saxton. 
and I guess Corey Graves, maybe. Yeah, Corey Graves. But, yeah. but, Boy, but Boy, Brian Saxon was just like, they were yelling at each other right in that handicap match. And it's like, guys, we're fucking 10 minutes into the show. You should not be screaming at each other in like pure fucking rage. Like, I think you're going to climb all the, uh, an ass table and fight each other. Like, who wants to hear the announcers screaming at each other 10 minutes into a fucking show? It's like, I, that's not really entertaining audio to me. But I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so after that, we had Cesaro and Samus beating Rollins and Jason Jordan. Really nothing to say about this. It was terrible, but it was designed to be terrible. They just threw it out there to die a death after the rumble. Oh, man. And it died a death. Like, the crowd... Oh, like... the, the, the crowd could not have made less noise if they tried. Like, if they were daring each other to, to be as silent as possible, they could not have been any more silent. Yeah, because yeah. it was nothing. They knew it was nothing. Um... I mean, there was, like, a really gross angle at the end where it seemed like they were saying Jason Jordan kind of have a concussion yeah, was, strange concussion was a heel angle. thing. Yeah, yeah, it was, like... I thought we're I thought we were kind of past that kind of thing at this point, but okay. so I realized somebody pointed out to me that like originally Jordan was grabbing his knee, and then when he went up to like get tagged in, he started grabbing his head. That Jason Jordan is an injury faker when he's legitimately injured and wasn't making house shows. So uh, oh, it's confusing. Yeah, it's not good. By the way, can I say something for Kara here? Because this is Kara member said um, when I was talking about the Cena dumping Elias like a geek. Kara was saying he is a geek. Well, Kara, he is a geek that, as of tonight, has qualified for the Elimination Chamber and will be main eventing that pay per view for a chance to challenge for the Universal Title at WrestleMania. That's fine. I, I have nothing <laughs> I against just, geeks. I have nothing I against geeks, fought. especially in the, elimina- I just I in the elimination chamber. They got to get six guys. They always get a geek in there. Santino is in the elimination chamber. And right. Santino's a geek, and Santino's a geek that I love, just like Elias. I just say, and I just think it's funny <laughs> that you, you you buried this poor man as a geek, and now he's going to be made of any of their next pay-per-view. But well, I get I to bury you for paying attention to Raw. <laughs> yeah. so. I, did, I just read the results, okay? What do you want from me? Um, but yeah, so Cesaro and Sheamus uh, defeated Seth Rollins and Jason Jordan. Way to go. After that, we had Brock Lesnar beating Braun Strowman and Kane in a triple threat match for the Universal title. I fucking hated this. Um, I'm sure a lot of people loved it, and I saw plenty of people on Twitter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.